This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach. Your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Happy Monday morning to you. <sighs> it starts again, Kathy. <laughs> I love that sigh. Don't you uh, love it? Yeah. Another Monday. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Good weekend. How was your weekend? Did you have it a good weekend? Great. We did have a good weekend. How about you? Um, watched a lot of football. Yes. That was fun. That, that was, was a, a fun great weekend. Yeah. football weekend. Yeah. BYU, big win. Yes. Tanner Mangum, he's amazing. He's looking great, oh. isn't he? Yeah. He's the real deal. Boy, when he went down, my husband and son were a little, a little concerned. Yeah. But who hasn't pulled a hammy? I know. Haven't we all? I pulled a hammy just getting in my chair this morning. <laughs> and my Packers won, so that's awesome. And your Packers won. Yes. They, they're looking great. They are looking great. You know, it's it's a whole different game, it seems like. Because the teams that used to win last year mm-hmm. aren't winning this year. <laughs> no, Seattle's struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Seattle and then um, Dallas struggling. Can't believe it. Yeah, yeah. You lose your quarterback. And then some of the teams that always win, you know, the Patriots. Oh, Patriots are looking amazing. Really good. Very, very. You think uh, your guy, your team's going to be able to beat the Patriots? I do. I really do. You're feeling very confident. I'm very confident. That'll be tough though. Tom Brady's just playing playing amazing. But so's uh, Aaron Rodgers. So that'd be a great matchup. See, uh, I tell you. And then you see all the high school kids that are. Dying on the field, isn't that? That's it's been a crazy year for that. It is. What do you do? It's a very, you know, it's a very violent sport. I remember uh, going, and I was on the uh, sideline for a Rams game many Mm -hmm. years ago. It was when Ty Detmer was actually with Green Bay, and they were playing the Rams. It was his first year, I believe. And when you're down there on the sideline, you just see how incredibly violent that NFL level is. Yeah. And obviously, high school not not near as much, but still, it's very violent. But you go from high school to college to pro, and that pro game, wow! Is it the, the speed and the power and the? Oh, I know. Just you, you can hear the hitting, oh, and yeah. you think, "How did that guy just?" Serve? There was a exactly. hit on Sunday Night Football last night that I'm like, "How is he walking?" Yeah, he had a concussion. But yeah. is it really as violent as I don't know the Benghazi committee? Yeah, two different things, I believe. Seems like the Benghazi committee is a little more violent. <laughs> Man, did you hear about uh, that whole thing? Now uh, there's a kind of a whistleblower who's who was a, a an investigator for Benghazi committee, and he's basically, you know, he's coming out saying it's pretty biased. Right. He <sighs> got fired from that committee, so yeah, we got fired, and hey, now he's a little mad. Right. How was your weekend, though, besides football? I slept a lot. Did you? I slept a lot. I Have you ever, been, have you ever slept so much that your brain is like, you ought to get up? And your body's <laughs> you like, nah, <laughs> just keep sleeping. Oh, I don't know why. You've been so busy. I know. This is the busiest week, I think, of my life. This coming week or last, last week? Last week was. Oh, was it? Well, good. And, you needed to sleep then. Yeah. I slept all the way here on the drive. <laughs> Not a bad deal, Ugh. but you can't sleep all day, really. And I, my body was so tired; it kept saying, "You got to get up. You got to get up, mm-hmm. or you'll never go to sleep." And it just kept <laughs> sleeping. By the way, today's Columbus Day. Yes, today is uh, it is the day of all days because it is Columbus Day. You know, 
signifies Christopher Columbus's arrival to America on October 12, 1492. Colorado first observed Columbus Day in 1906. And then it, you know, took the rest of us a while to get to get up <laughs> get to on date. Board. 1892 is when the the anniversary of the teachers, preachers and poets, politicians used Columbus Day to teach patriotism. Some other days today, Native American Day. Native American Day is a day to celebrate the cultures and contributions uh, that Native Americans have made to our country, all the various Native American tribes. It's also National Free Thought Day, which is the day that we, you know, basically uh, we, we want to encourage people to have free thinking, to base opinions on facts, science, logic, and reason. Mm-hmm. So that we don't have any more Salem witch, witch trials. <laughs> that would be good. That's a really, yeah. it's a really big, <laughs> it's a big thing. I got up very early and I, I wondered, I thought, are we off today? Columbus Day. I couldn't remember. I, I think it so should I'm be. I'm texting Terry. Are, are, we, are we working today? Do we work on Columbus it's like Day? It's 4.30 in the morning. Are we working today? Isn't that? I, I, think, uh, I think we ought to take it off. I, yeah, I was thinking that. I, I thought, think yeah. we ought to just take off National Gumbo Day because it's also National Gumbo Day. <laughs> oh. It's also National Kick Butt Day. That's always a good day. Apparently Ben's here. <laughs> How are you, Ben? That's your favorite. You just played favorite your favorite Sam. audio. Ever. I'm I'm good. That that woke me up. So did that wake you up? Yeah. It's good to have you awake. Ah, Ben, cute, cute Ben. Ben, any dates this weekend? Yeah, I went to a movie with a girl. Really? Where'd you uh, go see? Your mother. Martian. Was, this was your that mother? good? Was yeah, it was way good. Was oh, it good? good. We're going to yeah. see that this weekend. We saw The Intern uh, Did you like Saturday. that? I did like it. Uh-huh. We don't see movies. Don't you? That no. was fun. That was a good, cute movie. We, I would sleep through it lately. Did You took a date, you say? I did. Not a family member? No. Well, and Was it a good date? And Yeah, it was good. Like a second date is coming? Or was that more than the second date? I mean, I've I've been on a date with her before. Oh, there you oh, go. So did you hold her hand or something? No. No. <laughs> you did, didn't you? No. You totally did. He's going red. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he's going red. He's holding hands. And he just turned off his microphone. <laughs> it's happening. You know why? It's because it's National Farmers Day. Mm-hmm. And it's FarmersOnly.com. That's right. Sure where ben uh, has been dating on FarmersOnly.com. Farmers <laughs> it was MySinglesFarmer.com. Oh, Yeah. Oh. Sounds romantic. Did she smell like a combine? Um, more like a butter churn. Mm. Love butter. Yeah. Is she? <laughs> Never mind. That's great. Uh, good stuff. Let's go to Kathy. Find out what's going on in the headlines. Good morning, everyone. During an interview on CBS's 60 Minutes last night, President Obama talked about the controversy surrounding Hillary Clinton's use of a private private email server. I don't think it posed a national security problem. I think that it, uh, it was a mistake that she's acknowledged. As a general proposition, when we're in these offices, we have to be more sensitive and stay as far away from the line as possible when it comes to how we handle information, how we handle our own personal data. Uh, and, you know, she made a mistake. She's acknowledged it. Obama also said he believes the controversy has been ginned up for political reasons, but also says it's important for Clinton to answer questions on the issue. In that same interview, the president also said the U.S. had, quote, 
pretty good intelligence that Russia was going to intervene in Syria. Critics have accused the president of handing over leadership to Russian President Vladimir Putin by preventing them from launching airstrikes that began on September 30th. On Capitol Hill, the House continues to look for a new Speaker of the House to replace John Boehner. Many are trying to convince Wisconsin's Paul Ryan to enter the race, though he's declined the invitation, even for Mitt Romney, the former presidential candidate he ran with. Utah Congressman Jason Chaffetz, who threw his name into the ring, talked about what the House is trying to fix. we got to change things. Uh, we need a fresh start. Uh, we have a, a gulf and a divide that needs to be bridged. Uh, we need a speaker, I think, who takes the communications uh, realm and, and drives the discussion in this country about what it is we're standing for and what it is we're trying to do. And, uh, and so we're going through that exercise because Speaker Boehner stepped down and the majority leader decided that we do need a fresh face. The internal speakership vote was postponed last week after favorite Kevin McCarthy quit. The full chamber vote is set for October 29th. Iran has convicted jailed Washington Post reporter Jason Rezaian. The reporter is a dual American-Iranian citizen and has been detained for more than 14 months on espionage and other charges. No word on exactly what the reporter was convicted of. The paper called the guilty verdict an outrageous injustice. No sentence has been announced. A police officer in Memphis, Tennessee was shot and killed yesterday. Yesterday, 32-year-old Terrence Ulrich was headed to his car in uniform to go to work when he was shot. The officer had been in the police force for just over a year and leaves behind a fiancé who was four months pregnant. Ulrich is the second city officer to be fatally shot in just over two months. A male suspect is in custody. Southwest Airlines had some major technology issues yesterday, creating long delays and huge lines at airports across the country. Here's one customer. I guess that's today's life, man. Everything's internet, everything's online. You know, it is what it is, I guess. I'm not happy about it, but hopefully they'll, they'll fix it up. Southwest is pleading with its customers today to arrive two hours before departure. The airline has apologized, saying they're working to restore service. Los Angeles Dodgers second baseman Chase Utley has been suspended two games by Major League Baseball after this on Saturday. Jason hits it toward third, backing up on his right. They get one at second. How about that slide by Utley? But the Mets are still able to turn the double play. That from TBS. Utley's hard slide into second to break up a double play ended up breaking the leg of New York's New York Mets shortstop Ruben Tejada. The Mets and Dodgers play game three tonight. The National League Division Series between the two is all tied up. Utley's suspension will be appealed. And USC head football coach Steve Sarkeesian has been forced to take an indefinite leave of absence from the team. This coming after several alleged incidents of the coach being intoxicated, including yesterday morning at the team facilities. Coordinator Clay Helton will take over as interim head coach. And I sure hope he gets mm. some help. I yeah. interviewed him a couple of times while he was a quarterback here at BYU. And, you know, I feel for him. I, I really do hope he's, he gets the help he needs. Well, that's the deal. You need – he needs help. Yep. And, and he's, we were talking earlier about that's one of the greatest coaching jobs ever. Yep. USC, that's so a tough lot obviously of he's got a problem if he's going to mess with that. Yeah. But apparently I've been reading uh, when he was at Washington before this that, that there were some incidents there, there as well that some players have mentioned. Yeah. So it oh, seems like Steve. it's been going on for a while. So yeah. I hope he hope he gets well. Best of luck to yeah. him. And that broken leg. Holy oh, cow. broken femur. That is huge. I heard that is the most painful Yeah, that injury. is the worst ever. Oh. I've, yeah. Oh, that's not Yeah, it'll be good. interesting, though, tonight to see if the suspension is, is upheld or if he'll be playing. I don't know. I'll tell you, the Mets are going to be a little fired up tonight. Oh, yeah. yeah. You break our yeah. legs, <laughs> we break your face. That's tough stuff. Good job, Kathy. Well done. Uh, we are going to take a break, come back. When we come back, 
our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, will be joining us. He is going to be walking us through all things political, right? All things from D.C., including we're going to get into the Speaker of the House chaos. And, uh, I mean, really, one part, 40 people out of the Republican or the GOP side of the House They're bringing the entire speakership to its knees. Stick with us, folks. We're going to take an inside look at that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, Washington, D.C., if you haven't noticed, uh, going through a little turmoil right now. And our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, is here, hopefully to help us make sense of it all. But it's it's even it's even complicated, so complicated that even Joe is, like, shaking his head. <laughs> Joining us now, Joe Cannon, who uh, used to be the chairman of the Utah Republican Party, was a candidate for U.S. Senate uh, in 1992. And served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, in the Reagan administration. And also was the editor of the Deseret News. Um, we're so excited to have you here, Joe. Welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. You're sporting your L.A. Dodgers cap. Well, you know, you want to talk about politics, but actually there's something really important going on. That would be the playoffs. <laughs> there's a playoffs that, going on. Major League Baseball playoffs, yeah. So. And you're a Dodgers fan. Yep, yep. Grew up in L.A., didn't you? Yep, our family moved to L.A. the year after the Dodgers did. Oh, how cool. I hate to admit that I'm that old. Well, but, but uh, you, look, you look a lot younger. Yeah. Actually, the Dodger Stadium yeah. is the third oldest operating Major League Baseball stadium, and I remember when it was built. Do you really? Do you, yeah. do you, have you go, go to the games regularly? Yeah. Do you go back much? I wouldn't say regularly, but you know, I've been to three games this year down there. Have you really? Yeah, but I've also, you know, I travel a lot, so I've, I've been to... Two Nationals games. I went to a Detroit game in Detroit. Uh, oh. So I've I've been to different ballparks. Oh, this year. that's a good sprint. I mean, really, I love baseball because it takes all night. The, the problem is it's long. Yeah, it's long, but uh, but it's I, fun. You can do some talking in between. Yeah. It's good stuff. Hey, uh, what do you think about Washington? What is going on with our speakership? This is crazy. Well, you refer to me as an insider, which I tell you that I'm not really an insider. Yeah, you but in this case, I'm really, really not an insider. Really, you're and not. A couple of weeks ago, I talked with um, both Rob Bishop and uh, Chris Stewart and and actually Mia Love, for that matter, from the Utah delegation. And things were all on track. And this is like the the weekend, the week before the, the vote. And yeah. nobody had any idea that it would be anybody but McCarthy. You know, my, my, maybe some speed bumps. You know, there, right. there was some noise by the so-called Freedom Caucus. But, uh, wow, it's uh, – I, I don't know. What, what I know is that there are all these candidates surfacing. People want to coalesce. They seem to want to coalesce around someone, so they put forward a candidate, and then that candidate doesn't work, i.e. Paul Ryan now. Paul Ryan. uh, You know, people thought he might be the consensus guy, and and he says he doesn't want to run, and maybe that's also true, but he also apparently can't put together 218 votes. So the 218 is – explain that, because there's, what, 246? Right. So 218 is the majority of the House. So – when they vote in their caucus, so just the Republicans meet and just the Democrats that meet, that's a secret ballot. 
and uh, they have to get enough votes to win. But they also have to have enough they have to be able to get 218 votes on the actual floor of the House when they formally vote for Speaker. And what you've got is somewhere between 30 and 50 people saying, we're not voting for you. Yeah. Uh, well, they're saying that to McCarthy. Um, he may have had other reasons that he stepped out. But uh, so unless you can say for sure, I've got 218 votes, then all you do is you'd have a stalemate when right. you went, went to the floor. So that's where the 218 is not important in the caucus, in the, whether it's all Republicans. It just matters when you get to the floor. To get to the floor. And yeah. you can't trust a bunch of Democrats would vote for you, right? No. So no. they can't because I mean, that would, Almost that would, by definition. That would hang yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of, the, one of the problems is actually a Democrat did endorse Paul Ryan uh, and that oh, just yeah. that just that reinforced uh, the feeling on this, as I say, the, the so-called Freedom Caucus people he, that he can't be trusted. He's too he's too liberal. Yeah, I mean, this is so bizarre <laughs> that you'd be thinking that Paul Ryan is a liberal. Yeah, um, but the, this is the these are the Tea Partiers back in the day, right? This is that. They're the ones that wanted to come in and want to shake up the government, change everything in the government. They do. And, and uh, you know, I can see that they have a legitimate grievance. Sure. So I'm not going to argue too much there. But uh, what are they getting now? All they're, all they're doing is what they, they're kind of projecting. All they're doing is blocking. They can't make anything happen. Just yeah. like Congress has a very difficult time making things happen when you've got somebody of the other party as president, which is, by the way, how the framers planned it. They right. wanted it to be messy yeah. like this. So I don't know. I Just a little bit of a long story. But I, I had a client once who came in and said, you know, I want to meet with a government official and tell them this, what they're doing is unconstitutional. It's wrong. It's horrible. And let's just go to the top and – and get this done. So I said, well, I, I happen to know that it was a cabinet secretary. I, I could make a meeting, but again, make an arrangement for a meeting. But let me ask you a question. Do you want to win or do you want to feel good? Yeah. Uh, if you want to feel good, you can go in and talk to the secretary complain. and complain. And man, when you finish that meeting, you're going to feel really virtuous. But if you want to win, I'm going to suggest there's a GS-15 bureaucrat way down in the bowels <laughs> of that department. We should probably start with Molly. Let's start there. And, and, you know, but you're the client. We'll do what? But isn't I just ask yourself the question, right. do you want to win or do you want to feel good? Winning is tough. Mm -hmm. Winning is, especially in, a, in the constitutional system we have, it's a grind and it's, it's compromising. These guys say, we can't compromise. We don't want to compromise. We have our principles. Listen, the founding fathers compromised on slavery yeah. to get the Constitution. That's right. They compromised on slavery, an issue which later cost millions of lives. Now, now – I just don't get uh, this, you know, this this, this purity thing. Um, that's not how Congress intended. I mean, that's not how the founders intended it. That, that's not how it works. And, and it's being demonstrated by what they've got now. Now, all that said, behind the scenes, these guys are Congress people. After all, they're they're going to figure out a way to make a deal. Something has to happen yeah. because the default for them is Boehner. Same old, same old. <laughs> yeah. Back to Boehner, and so, now Boehner's got to go back to work. After he's been making his yeah, after, vacation yeah, plans. Yeah. Is is it – because it seems like you could maybe settle on a Paul Ryan 
make your your representative of the Freedom Caucus the majority, whatever the majority leader. Right. He could take McCarthy's place. And then all of a sudden you've got one of your people in the number two position. But see, it looks to me like they're having a hard time even coalescing their own caucus around. around Now, they've said that they were going to support Daniel Webster, but you have other conservatives out there who are, I mean, I believe even in the Freedom Caucus's minds, qualify as a conservative who want it. Uh, but there's no coalescing around them. So I, I don't know. It's, it's incredible. Uh, it's also because it seems like – so this is why the government shut down was – right? Because Boehner couldn't get the support of these – the Freedom Caucus people too. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So they couldn't – To create get, the legislation, yeah. Yeah. the budget. But I think even their – well, who knows? We'll see. They're, they're, I mean they didn't shut down this last time. This last time, yeah. They – made this little extension until happy December, Merry yeah. Christmas, where they're going to have the mother of all fights over the, it's not just the budget, but also the debt limit ceiling. There going to be a whole, it's going to be, December is going to be pretty interesting. Oh, do we just have to wait for the election? I mean, the only way this is going to change, I'm assuming, is if these some of these people are voted out or more are voted in. Well, some pretty smart people on the Republican side and not just – so if you don't support the, quote, Freedom Caucus or the Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity view of the world, then you're a liberal insider establishment guy, <laughs> which is just insane. Yeah. But um, the, there are some pretty serious Republicans saying, hey, you know, con- you guys could get punished for this. You know, we've the, the Republicans have only had the majority for – a relatively short time if you look at modern history here. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, the America could say, you know, we don't like the system very much. Yeah, we're not sending you back. Is this going to cost the the GOP the the House? Well, that's what some people think. It, it could do that. Uh, if you look demographically, it's hard. I don't know if you follow yeah. Larry Sabato at all. Yeah, He's yeah. a professor at University of Virginia, very smart guy. He, he his answer to that is it's pretty hard to see demographically how it's not a Republican House for a pretty long time. Oh, really? Um, but it, you it could happen. Some, you know, yeah. you have a wave election. You have an election where uh, where the the government is the issue. You know, people could vote it. That that's how the Republicans have gotten in hmm. the the last couple of times is they've made they've nationalized the whole election. Well, it could be nationalized the other way too. Man. I don't think that just for what it's worth. I don't think there's a high probability of that. But did when uh, Chaffetz got in, was it just Chaffetz reading the tea leaves? Did he just know that there weren't the votes, so he just jumped in? So I haven't talked with him, so yeah. I don't know the answer. But that's what it appears to me he because he jumped something. in. And at first, people thought it was crazy. Yeah. Uh, then they saw that McCarthy stepped out. Then it didn't appear quite so crazy. But having said that, and, and I'm not saying it does appear crazy, but I will just say his name has been out there. The, the, the two names that actually have been out have been his name and uh, this Daniel Webster from Florida. And no one's, well, no one's coalescing around Jason. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a big Saturday Night Live viewer, but my <laughs> wife showed me a uh, a, a clip, a, a clip from a, a, a show, the a piece they did on Jason. It was, it was actually pretty funny. And, and uh, isn't that? I bet he thought it was funny. It was, yeah, uh, it's. Um, in fact, let's listen to some clips here. So this is this is Representative Mick Mulvaney um, from South Carolina on Paul Ryan 
And he, so Mick is one of the Freedom Caucus members. If he decides he wants to do it, that's great. If he doesn't, that's fine. There's probably other people in our conference who could unite us. But certainly if we went down the list right now and said, okay, who could unite the party in the House? Certainly Paul comes right to the head of the list. Supposedly. But he still can't get enough of the votes. Is, is it because they're, they're, we don't know how big the Freedom Caucus really is? And it could be even more conservative than those that could support Paul Ryan. Well, I think it is. I, so I, I think he, he, regardless of, of, of that, the soundbite there, the, um, he, whether he's running or not, okay, I'm going to take it at face value that it says he's not running, but plenty of people are pushing him. Plenty of people yeah, are pushing yeah. him. The National Review, which I guess now is, a, uh, is, a, is an establishment insider group and liberal, uh, but they, they had a piece last week urging. Said, now's, the, now's the time for all good men to come to the aid of their party. <laughs> Paul, you know, step, step up. up. And, but it's, yeah, so if he doesn't jump in, it's simply because he doesn't have the votes. Well, I, I mean, mean, to be I mean, fair, maybe it's other things too. But but I believe he's he's really an honorable guy. He's yeah. really such a decent guy. He would want to seeing help. this. He would just say, "Look, I, how can I help?" But it it's turning out maybe he's not able to you know cobble together his team a, or his a, a big enough number to to get there. Here's another uh, here's another clip from Rick uh, Mill Mick Mill, Mill Mulvaney from South Carolina. Uh, we're supporting Dan Webster right now as a House Freedom Caucus because Dan was able to convince us that if he were the speaker, the House would be run differently, that members would have a chance to participate in the process. We don't have that now. The committees would have a chance to do work. They don't have that opportunity now. So we're looking for more of a, of a process and, and principles than we are personally. There's 200, there's 200 non-Freedom Caucus members and yet the the 40 freedom or so freedom caucus members are trying to run the show well it's it's the house's version of the filibuster rule so yeah. in, in the senate as you know you you have to have 60 votes to shut off debate uh, or yeah. 40 40 people say or 41 people say no and that's that's been a you know that's how the senate sure. has operated for a long time and in the House, of course, they don't have that except when you've got uh, – um, you know, you mentioned earlier that I was the chairman of the Republican Party in Utah and I've been – I used to say when people ask me about it, I'd say, yeah, well, there are actually three parties in Utah and I'm chairman of two of them. Of two of them, right. <laughs> and uh, that's that's yeah. what you've got now is you've got two parties up there. One of them has blocking power And right they're now. blocking. They're and using they've, it. And they've been successful. They They took out the speaker. They took out his chosen successor. And now they're blocking anyone else, anyone who's not them. But um, they keep they keep throwing names out like, well, you know, um, who have they brought in? Uh, they, they I've heard in the news Mitt Romney, but that won't work because they don't like Mitt. Um, but uh, the old speaker. Um, oh, Gingrich. Newt Gingrich. Is he? He's not conservative enough for them, is he? I mean, because well, apparently you you can come in as the speaker and you don't have to be an elected official, elected politician. Yeah, technically that's true. Um, but I saw I also saw a piece over the weekend that says, yeah, that's yeah, that's, you're maybe maybe in some technical likely, sense, yeah. you know, 
it's highly unlikely that they're going to agree on somebody not in their body, right? Uh, as they call it, their body. But um, yeah, there are a bunch of names that keep coming up. That's why I say behind the scenes, something could be happening that we don't know. But yeah. all of the names that have come up on either side, either within the body or outside of their body, uh, are no one's coalescing. There's no, at least, uh, at least from the outside, yeah. it doesn't yeah. look like there's any point of coalescence. Would I guess what would it be? So if Boehner stays, I think. Well, he said that I'll just stay until the, the, there's a new speaker chosen. So I mean, you got st- what, status quo ante. You've got you know yeah. you've got what you've got. And, and then uh, is there going to be retribution? Well, that's one of the things the Freedom Caucus fears because there already has been retribution. They've already felt the sting of retribution for those who didn't support Boehner the last time around when it was really basically a no-brainer. He's going to be the next guy. People voted against him and they lost uh, Webster, by the way. was one of the ones who lost. I think he was on the Rules Committee Uh or something like that. Uh, So um, this time around, I I don't sense that because if there's a resolution, it will have to be something that's agreed on by by both sides. Hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe you need 20 members of the, of, you know, the, the non-Freedom Caucus coalition to give up their seats their, in their committees, give them all to the Freedom Caucus members to make them all happy. <laughs> well, I can say that's probably not going to happen. I know. That's, that's what I was no... thinking. So instead of making one person bite the bullet, let's have but, 20. But there's probably – but there's something in what you say. I mean what what they want is – what they say and I believe that they want is – Congress is pretty, can be pretty dictatorial on both sides. You know, When you are in the majority, the, the minority has no power. But also the younger folks in your own party don't have much power right, either. Right, right. So it's the old barons, the kind of the – some. In, yeah, the, some committee members are sometimes referred to as cardinals on the appropriations the, committee. The cardinals. The, so they, they, um, <laughs> yeah. So, it, so they want a, a a system that is more open. Yeah, and there's got to be a way to compromise around that. See, it's going to be. I mean, it makes polit- it makes politics fun. I mean, this well, is at least interesting. It's I, you know, I was uh, was it just Monday? Was it or yeah, Tuesday? It seemed like last Monday. Yeah, yeah, I was. On a listening, I'm sorry to say, it, to another radio station. They were, they what? Were, yeah, I know it's, it's crazy, Joe. but uh, focus. They were interviewing. <laughs> they were interviewing Rob Bishop literally as he was outside the door going into this meeting. This, really, and he was going, "Yeah, things are. Yeah, it's going to be a little tough sledding, but you know, McCarthy's going to be. You know, it was. It was like no brainer. No, the idea that McCarthy yeah. would step down was one of those rare, yeah. fascinating things that, that actually blew. happens once in a while. That. that Blows everyone away. Ah. What are you kidding? Oh, I love it. That's exciting. Okay, let's do this. Uh, we'll come back more with Joe Cannon. We'll take a break, and then we'll be back. And we're going to talk about the, the, uh, the, I guess, the great Democratic debate. To me, it just doesn't seem as interesting as all the hype around the Republicans. But we'll find out. Uh, we'll come back more with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, in studio with us today, our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, sporting his L.A. Dodgers cap. Well, go Dodgers. Go Dodgers, one and one, right? Right, right. Okay, well, after, keep it After up. the brutal thing, yeah. we all know. Okay. Yeah, we don't want to talk about that. Yep. That was so sad. Break, and break a leg, for crying yep. out loud. What are you, the mafia? <laughs> Well, he is from Philadelphia. They, they have was. kind of a tough reputation there. That's some I mean, tough Chase stuff. Chase <laughs> uh, Joe's with us. Um, and we, I don't know how much time we can actually spend on this next topic because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of there there. Um, the, the Democratic debate doesn't seem like it's as heated. It doesn't seem like it's as big of a deal as the GOP debate. Yeah, I'll, I'll make a prediction it yeah. won't get the ratings yeah, that the pretty, Republican debates get. Pretty sure it won't. I mean, when you've got a Bernie Sanders, I mean, I guess the big play is: is Hillary going to have to go more liberal, more to the left than Bernie? And is that possible? Well, it's probably not possible. But she's already done two things. She's already come out against the the trade pact, right? That she that negotiated she a, right. and called the gold standard of trade pacts, uh, and she came out against that now. She came out against the Keystone Pipeline. Yet another thing that the State Department had approved, or at least their piece of it. Um, so, yeah, she's clearly moving in on that guns, direction. She'll come out more left on guns than Bernie because Bernie's a Vermont guy. That's true. They're, they're, they have the most uh, – I guess if you're – anyway, they have the, the most conservative gun laws. Yeah. Uh, so – so in, you'll have uh, Hillary, you'll have Bernie Sanders, Martin O'Malley, Jim Webb. Lincoln Chafee. Lincoln Chafee. Newly, newly minted Democrat. He was a Republican for a long time. Then he became a yeah independent. Now he's a uh, he's a uh, So she's the Democrat. front runner. Do you see anyone going after her? Like well, the, we saw the, with, with actually Trump? the only interesting thing about this debate coming up is who's not on the stand. Yeah. And that is Joe Biden. Joe Biden. He's Clearly, the X factor. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he is introduced into the polls, he does okay. You know, he's not a candidate, so it's hard to to judge. But in lots of those polls, fifty percent or more of the people say they want somebody besides Hillary, mm-hmm. and one of those people is is Biden. Uh, so he's clearly thinking about it. He's had meetings. I think yeah. I'm sure you read the. He was supposed the, to be thinking like meeting with his family this weekend. Right, but he's had meetings with the Democratic National Committee to, so to get into the technical aspects. Okay, uh-huh. what does this mean? And a lot of people interpreted that as just posting up, saying, "Okay, look, you better not be just all in for Hillary because I might be getting in there." Uh, and, and there's a good body of of pretty smart people or. Who saw it that way? Wow! So uh, yeah, the, a lot of things are, are going on behind the scenes for Biden, but uh, you know, I, I'm not really an insider, like I said. Yeah. But I do happen to know a couple of people in Washington on 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 the uh, Democrat side of things who are pretty well placed people. They don't know whether he's going to run. They so still I, don't know. There are a couple of people I know who know him personally, yeah. have talked with him multiple, multiple times about about what if, how do, what does this mean, how does that work, and they don't know. Well, it seems like if nobody knows, then he's not running Well, because you'd, you'd have to be shoring up money. You'd have to be – you know, he, getting he, prepared, yeah, getting his, state. His surrogates are doing that. They're, okay, they're they out are. there kind of posting up. But 
I think it really is. He's saying, do I, do I really have it to run? Now, having said that, he did run twice. Right. And he has been vice president. If you look all through the history of the United States, the best way to become president is to have been the vice president. That's it. Uh, and so he's, he's got a, a pretty – he's holding a pretty good hand here. But he's also – in his 70s. Yeah. And uh, it's a tough, grueling Didn't he thing. say he would only run once? If he ran, he'd run for one term. Well, a lot of his supporters are saying that he should say that. I don't think those words have actually come out of his mouth. But, okay. Except in a, maybe in a trial balloon sense. But he's, he is not committed to not run more okay. than once yet. And does – you know, I guess when you think about it, I mean, the, the big story has been about his son and – he, does he have the will to do it? Does he have the will to go get in the race and do this? Is that just hype? No, I don't think so. Okay, I, that's real. I, 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 at least, the, as I say, I know a couple of people are pretty direct contact with him, and they say he really is wrestling. It's not that's fake. That's interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of refreshing in, yeah, in a finally. certain way. <laughs> it's, that he's, you know, am I going to belly up to this bar or not? And it's – and it, the there's one guy who's going to decide that. It's It's within himself. And um, do you do you think what do you think would happen if he got in? What would that look like? Well, it would definitely be a race. Uh, and then it would just depend on how he really, in fact, appeals to the electorate. So if he won a primary or two, it would be devastating. If Bernie Sanders wins a primary or two, uh, it's not really devastating because most people – don't think he has legs once you get past Iowa and New Hampshire. Right. Uh, Biden would. Biden could afford to win or lose New Hampshire and Iowa, and he would have legs in, mm-hmm. in the other uh, in the other primary. So then it would just be a slog to their convention for who can get the delegates. And it, not in an odd way, but in, in in reality, what would happen is Hillary's Hillary Clinton's other problems would be much more uh, in focus because the Democrats would have to say now, right now most Democrats are, well, many Democrats are just kind of holding their nose and saying, look, she's our guy. We're yeah. going with her. This whole email thing and other things are going to blow over her flip-flopping. That's going to all blow over. She's our guy. And we know we got 45% of the vote no matter what. Yeah, But that's because they don't have anybody else. If they have a Joe Biden there, they're going to say, well, maybe these problems are a little bit more complicated than we thought. We got we've got a horse here who's a very likable guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the interesting thing about the polls is on her side, she's not particularly likable. Right uh, among Democrats, he's very likable. And I mean, it, when you want to go to dinner with Joe Biden, oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, uh, so that change it just changes the dynamic. I'm not a I'm not an but, oracle. I don't I don't know how it would actually come out. But, but it but, would be. I mean, everyone always is like, well, that's just a third term for Obama, but. They're also saying Hillary's a third term. They're all for running for the third term of Obama right. because. So you may as well have the real yeah, deal. They cannot afford. Hillary can't. Why is she moving on trade? Why is she moving on Keystone? She can't win without a hardcore support mm-hmm. of the Obama coalition. And that's her biggest problem. And it's less of a problem for Biden. Yeah. Uh, how do you appeal? So. Everyone assumes that all the Democrats are going to vote. And, you know, to one one person close to both Hillary and Obama said that, look, um, she's going to get she's going to get the black vote. And the answer is, yes, she is. But yeah. is the black turnout going to be high no, enough? And is like she going to get yeah. and is she going to get a big enough percentage 
of a lower turnout. So there are all kinds of these questions. Mm -hmm. so, so her, you know, most important political strategic objective is to make sure she owns that uh, that that Obama coalition. Coalition, and if so, so uh, there's other scuttle that uh, Ob uh, that Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren would step in as his vice president. He'd go one term. She'd be set up to be president. That is an extremely powerful argument on the Democrat side. That would be I have no, no inside knowledge yeah. about that, but it, it makes such political sense for yeah. him to do that because that that does take out the Bernie Sanders. Right. That gives the Bernie Sanders folks a place to go. And, um, and female and it would – Pretty much, yeah. it would be hard for Hillary to overcome that. Now, the the problem that that has, although it's 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 a it's two edged sword, yeah. but the the problem is is that that would be a clearly definitively left wing pull yeah. ticket, and Obama's President Obama was able to pull that off because he got bigger numbers of big bigger constituencies. Could that coalition get it, and would it rile up? the center right big enough reaction yeah. so it's it, it, oh the game yeah, of it all a, huh man joe uh anything else we need to be worried about or focused on that we're not paying attention to well i i often talk about anti-semitism and and christian christian persecution but things are going a, a little bit crazy in israel right now what's going on well so there's this wave of kind of lone wolf stabbings where, where like a rabbi was killed in front of his wife and children, oh, uh, and and so then and then there's a lot of rioting going on right around the Temple Mount now uh, because the well everyone claims the Temple Mount and so there's yeah. there's just a lot of uh, resistance and resentment on both sides there but it's it's now manifesting itself into kind of clashes. Wow. So it's it's kind of a little bit of an unstable situation inside of Israel. That's so this is before the bombs fly. Lone wolf stabbing. I mean that's scary. And there've been a number of them apparently. Oh, so. Joe. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. Uh have a great are you going anywhere exciting this week? No. But what I would do is I'd watch more baseball. Well, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Joe Cannon, thank you so much. Uh, we'll take a break, come back, do a little Coach's Corner after the break. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, man. Washington, D.C. By the way, CNN is begging, apparently, Biden to get in the race. They've even saved him a little podium. Just in case he jumps in at the last minute. I think they need him for ratings. Because, I, again, I like politics a lot, but I'm not too jazzed to go watch that debate. I'm going to end up watching more baseball. I'll probably, honestly, just go to bed. That's been my favorite thing lately. Anyway, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Um, hey, funny uh, story, interesting story, actually. Um, Harvard's prestigious debate team loses to New York prison inmates. 
Months after winning a national title, Harvard's debate team has fallen to a group of New York prison inmates. The showdown took place at the Eastern Correctional Facility in New York, a maximum security prison where convicts can take courses taught by faculty from the nearby Bard College and where inmates have uh, formed a popular debate club. Last month, they invited the Ivy League undergraduates and this year's national debate champions over for a friendly competition. A three-judge panel concluded that the Bard team had raised strong arguments that the Harvard team had failed to consider and declared the team of inmates victorious. Debate helps the students master their arguments and they don't necessarily uh, that they don't necessarily agree with, said Max Kenner, founder and executive director of the Bard Prison Initiative. The inmates were asked to argue that public schools should be allowed to deny enrollment to undocumented students, a position that the team opposed. Ha! I actually found some um, audio from that debate. Oh, you have some audio from yeah. the debate? Oh, excellent. Let's listen to audio. Uh, I guess this is the New York Prisoners taking on Harvard's prestigious debate club. We're an anarcho-syndicalist commune. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a simple majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case be of more Be quiet. Major. Wow. I order you to be quiet. What's uh That's interesting. That seemed... That didn't seem like the right audio. That almost seemed like a Monty Python type of audio. No, it was it was the prisoners and Harvard students. Okay, which one, which one had the accent? Is that Harvard? Well, yeah, the one that was all pr- kind of like yeah, formal and yeah, that was Harvard. Mm-hmm. They it's, were losing. It sounded a lot. I don't know. It sounded like Monty Python or I don't know. Anyway, weird. It's the weirdest audio. Anyway, congratulations to uh, those that uh, represented Bard College at the uh, New York prison. Good stuff. Good stuff, folks. See, there's hope. We just need more prisoners to, you know, come debate Congress. Who knows? It'd probably help. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Whole new hour. Next hour, more ideas, more tools right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Happy Monday morning to you. Another day. You're starting out a new week. Yummy! <laughs> it's always the hardest day, Monday. But you know what? Think of it this way. You've only got four and seven-eighths days left. <laughs> Until Friday. Until Good Friday. Thinking. I always like how you see the positive yeah. in everything. I like to be as positive as I possibly can. <laughs> Man, did you hear the news? Because, uh, you know, Disneyland and Disney World, the happiest place on earth. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you're stuck on the monorail? It's a very unhappy place. Then you're just ticked. (laughs) Uh, Walt Disney World guests found themselves stranded for hours aboard one of the monorail trains Saturday. 
That would be hard because you're up there looking down. Yeah. You're looking down at all the people having fun, <laughs> and you're just stuck. And that was for how long? Uh, let me look here. Orange County Fire Rescue uh, officials were called to assist Reedy Creek Fire and Rescue around 5 p.m. Saturday evening after the yellow monorail stopped on the track between Disney's Contemporary Resort and Magic Kingdom. Mm. Passengers were headed to the Magic Kingdom from the Transportation and Ticket Center. And um, the guess, uh, I guess when the train stopped at 3.30, so the fire department was called out at 5. Ooh. Like, uh, wow. we're having a hard time getting these people out. <laughs> getting these people out. Um, it was kind of bizarre. They said the amount of time it took to get the emergency crews out. The monorails run on electricity, so passengers didn't have air conditioning while they waited. It became like a greenhouse. As soon as the thing stopped, all the cars were at full capacity. Oh. The second and third cars of the train were evacuated by a cherry picker because passengers aboard had medical issues. All other passengers were towed back to the transportation center and then evacuated. I wonder what they got as far as compensation. I'm going to bet they got some ears. <laughs> well, that would be worth it and, right there. And yeah. an icy. Oh, and I see. We we got uh, stuck on top. I think it's called the Screamer at California oh, Adventures. Yeah. Uh-huh. At right at the very top, all of a sudden it just stops. Oh, that! And I'm looking, going, is this part of the ride? And so we were, and it was blazing hot. Finally, they came and got us. I'm thinking they're going to give us you know, give a free you pass or sure, something. Sure. Yeah, I think it was. They just gave us a fast pass to the same ride. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, I don't think I want to be on this ride again. I don't think I'm coming back to this, this one. one. Thank bre- you, though. This one breaks down yeah. a lot. Yeah. Well, that's expecting sad. much more than that. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. Yeah, I think they need they need to give you something just else. Give me a pass for the next day or something. Yeah, or just I'll just take cash. Yeah, that would be good. Give me tens and of I'll thousands of dollars. And I'll tell you, though, they were, you could tell they're used to that happening because, boy, they were there. They were there were they on quickly. it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Had to walk all the way down, though. We were at the very top. Well, how frustrated yeah. would you be if it took like an hour and a half to get the cruise out? Yeah. If, especially if you have little kids. Yeah. That would be tough. I think even if I didn't have a medical emergency, I'd pretty much have one after an hour and a half. <laughs> or you'd make one up, <laughs> right? Like, my plantar is killing me. <laughs> my, my foot is. <laughs> yeah, right, Ben? Ben's laughing. Did you hear Ben laughing? That was a good no, one, No, that's ben. the sound I would have made if. Is that, was, that was a good oh, one. That's the sound you make. I thought that was you laughing. Oh, well. Hey, um, you had a great weekend. I did, yes. Tons of games, lots of fun, yes. lots of excitement. Uh-huh. Um, I personally have decided that there is a good reason to take a nap. Okay. Did you know that apparently naps are good for you? Yes, I, I do know that, Did actually. you? Did Especially you know, Sunday naps. Oh, <laughs> Sunday nap. just collapse. Apparently, a new study finds that a nap a day could save your life. For Every real. Every day. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. A nap a day may prove challenging for those in the 9 to 5 world, but according to some new research, midday naps are associated with reduced blood pressure levels and prescription of fewer antihypertensive medications. Any remedy that leads to fewer prescriptions is a good thing. Very good. Isn't that great? Yeah, but what... My problem is if I if I lay down on my bed, I'm gone for an hour and a half. Are you really? And then I can't sleep that night. Yeah. I wish I could do the power nap thing. I can't do that. Yeah. Can you do that? Oh, I can do that. Yeah. What I'd, is a power nap for you? A long? power nap's about 15 minutes. And I can do oh, it. I, I, I do it do in that. the middle of the show all the time. <laughs> we I'll can tell. In the yes, middle of an interview, I'm just happening. like, zonk. <laughs> no, when I'll, I will go, I can sit in my car and... Like when I leave here, I will go to my other office. I'll sit in my car for 15 minutes and I will have a power nap. Oh, God. I wish I could do that. It's it's a great thing. The hard part is I have to get into my power jammies. Uh-huh. 
which is always a lot harder. That would be a lot, yeah. especially in your car. Yeah. You have to Don't get you think dressed. people are looking at you going, what, what is he yeah. doing in yeah. there? Is that what you wear to work every Friday? Those power jammies? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. With okay. the feet. They're, those are yeah. good looking. Right. And the, Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're... They make me look like I have a bigger belly than I really do. <laughs> but I think the footsies, they're just so cozy. Yeah. So warm. And it's getting cold outside. It's so. getting yeah. so yeah. cold. I think we all need those. Well, Kathy, let's go to the headlines. Let's See if there's do it. any way to redeem the show. Good morning, everyone. The first Democratic debate is set for tomorrow night in Las Vegas. The latest CBS News poll shows Hillary Clinton leading Bernie Sanders by 18 points, a poll similar to last month, but one that has narrowed a bit since August. Sanders talked about being a Democratic Socialist. I'm a democratic socialist. But what I mean is I've been elected as an independent throughout my political career. I am running now in the democratic nomination process Mm -hmm. and will support. I hope to win. I expect to win. But you'll support the democratic nomination. I will. Sanders also said he's been consistent on the issue, something Clinton has not. So people will have to contrast my consistency and my willingness to stand up to Wall Street corporations, big corporations, with the second on the GOP side, Donald Trump continues to be the front runner with 27% compared to Ben Carson at 21%. All other GOP contenders are in single digits with Ted Cruz at 9%, followed by Marco Rubio at 8%. During an interview on CBS's 60 Minutes last night, President Obama talked about Trump. He knows how to get attention. He's you know, the classic reality TV character. At this early stages, it's not surprising that he's gotten a lot of attention. Do you think he's up running out of steam? I mean, do you think he's going to disappear? I, you know, I, I'll leave it up to the pundits uh, to make that determination. I don't think he'll end up being president of the United States. In that same interview, the president said Clinton's use of a private email server while Secretary of State was a mistake, but did not think it posed a national security problem. He also said the issue was made larger due to politics. I think she'd be the first to acknowledge that you know, maybe she could have handled the original decision better and the disclosures uh, more quickly. This is one of those issues that I think is legitimate, but the fact that for the last three months this is all that's been spoken about is an indication that we're in presidential political season. Obama also talked about Russia's intervention in Syria, claiming the U.S. had, quote, pretty good intelligence before the airstrikes began. Late yesterday, the Iranian judiciary said it has convicted Washington Post reporter Jason Rezaian, reportedly for a combination of charges that he collected sensitive information that affected that country's national security. Rezaian has 20 days to appeal the verdict that Washington Post says is outrageous and an injustice. No sentence was announced. The reporter reporter has been jailed for over a year. Southwest Airlines had some major technology issues yesterday, but says this morning those issues are fixed and expect a normal day of operations. Yesterday, there were nearly 450 delays causing long lines at many airports across the country. California Governor Jerry Brown signed a law yesterday which bans schools from using the name Redskins for a team's name or mascot, the first state to do so. The National Congress of American Indians said the move should be a shining example for the rest of the nation. The law goes into effect January 1st of 2017. And Matt, an eighth grader from Dexter McCarthy Middle School in Oregon, Oregon, was suspended from school recently. Hmm. Alan Holmes was wearing a t-shirt that said, standing for those who stood for us. He wore the t-shirt because his brother is a Marine. But the school told him he either had to change the t-shirt or face suspension. He chose suspension. So the school dress code says students can't wear anything that promotes alcohol, drugs, tobacco, or violence. And the t-shirt has a 
rifle that's pointed down to the ground with a helmet on top and boots on the bottom. Right. The school officials won't comment in, on the issue, but Holmes said he understands while the school is concerned about images of weapons, but this, he said, was promoting his brother's service and freedom, not violence. But, what do you think about that? Well, that's messed up. Don't you think because, the PC is, just gets a little too far sometimes? Well, yeah, but that was also, isn't that the symbol, the, the gun down, helmet right. on top, boots, that's the symbol of those that have died. Exactly, yeah. That's a, that is a military, that's not violent. Yeah. That's, I guess they figured the gun promotes gun violence. I don't know. Sometimes I think this just goes a little too well, far. Well, the gun also promoted that he's fought for our freedom. to have a say. Exactly. Free Isn't speech. That yeah. interesting? I mean, you've heard of kids that get suspended or sent home because they have a mm-hmm. flag on their t-shirt. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, and then too, it doesn't, I mean, don't the military recruiters come into the high school and do a presentation? I don't know. And when they do their presentation, sure does it that. not ever involve a image of a gun. Well, yeah, that's what you'll be doing when you're out there. Uh, I don't know. I think some of this is just yeah, crazy. Good for him, though. He said, fine, I'll be suspended. Hey, yo, who I'm wouldn't? I'm not changing my T-shirt. So. I wouldn't. I'll, I'll take a break <laughs> from the country. Yeah. Good for yeah. him for standing People up for are it. really um, sensitive, aren't they? Mm. Okay, well, we got a we got an interesting topic coming up. You've, I'm sure, watched the videos and the news uh, clips from the 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 refugees, the economic migrants, those that were leaving Syria and other countries, um, trying to find some sense of peace and freedom. And they're just migrating. They're doing anything they can to get out of those areas, those war-torn areas. Well, it's it's a whole new world, folks, of migration. And Europe has been the one that's been picking up a lot of these these uh, immigrants or, or, or migrants or refugees, we're going to find out exactly what is the best uh, thing to call this group of people. But in the end, it's it's something we, we probably need to understand um, because, too, apparently the United States is also uh, saying that they're willing to pick up a, a, a large amount of them as well and bring them in to the United States. So when you think of migrants or refugees, what do we need to know? You know, we can't just sit there and assume it's the same thing as what we see on our on our borders, right? Or is it? We'll get into all of this information, folks, giving you the tools you need to help uh, make some sense of the European migration movement. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back with Susie Dennison to help us uh, understand more. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, all summer long, international news has been dominated by stories of the European migration crisis. The United Nations says more than 300,000 migrants have attempted to cross the Mediterranean Sea this year. And you've heard about their ships sinking, right? And uh, hundreds of people's lives being lost. The International Organization for Migration says more than 350,000 migrants arrived at the borders of the European Union between January and August. And that's not counting the many who arrived undetected. To put that number in context, for all of 2014, the total number was 280,000. Around 230,000 migrants have so far landed in Greece. More than 200,000 people are estimated to have arrived in Germany in September alone, not since World War II 
Has Europe had to deal with a refugee crisis of this scale? On the phone with us today is Susie Dennison, who's co-director of European Power Program at the European Council on Foreign Relations. She works on a range of projects, including the annual scorecard and the European Union's global strategy. She's here to help us understand um, about uh, a little bit more about this migration crisis and uh, and really what is its impact and how are all of these other countries going to absorb um, so many uh, different migrants. So we welcome you. Susie Dennison, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We we so appreciate you being here. And we got to get our language uh, straight here right off the top. First of all, um, should we refer to these these people as migrants, uh, as economic migrants, as refugees? How do we refer to this the, these people? I think one of the challenges of this, this situation which European states are grappling with at the moment is exactly that it is a mix um, of, uh, of, of people arriving on European borders at the moment. There is... Um, it's very difficult to give you exact proportions because um, uh, because not everybody um, comes um, who, who's coming through illegal routes to Europe is uh, is registering on arrival. Right. Um, but uh, but but essentially um, the. Uh, the, the, the dominant flows um, through all the routes into Europe at the moment are, are refugees, um, but among that, particularly in, um, in, in the groups coming across the Mediterranean, um, there are a fairly um, sizable number of, um, of, of economic migrants of, of African origin, and we're also seeing um, uh, in uh, coming across the Western Balkan um, route, not only um, people escaping the Syrian conflict, uh, but also a number of um, migrants from the Western Balkan region itself, um, which, uh, you know, depending on your definition, could be termed economic or or political migrants. Right. So it's a real mixture. Well, and I guess in the end, they all need help and they all need attention no matter what. Exactly, and um, and I think that the 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 fact that um, this is um, this is being kind of described by European leaders and, and migrants as a crisis is accurate in the sense that it's a political crisis. But this isn't a crisis in terms of the numbers um, which which Europe is being asked to absorb. It's large um, by historical proportions, um, but not by uh, not in comparison to um, host countries for refugees, in, for example, in the Middle East region, um, Lebanon. Jordan, Turkey, who um, who are dealing with um, many, many, many times the amount um, of, of of refugees that we're seeing arrival in Europe as a whole. So the the challenge is about sort of sharing um, responsibility for for the arrivals um, and 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 processing um, and integrating these people. Um, but the overall numbers are achievable. Um, the civil war has been going on in Syria for years now, so. What what do you sense has caused the the influx in the last year or two? Why is it so large now? Why why is there such a movement now? Well, I think um, there's a there's a mix of um, factors at play. Firstly, as you say, um, the civil war um, has has been has been going on for four years, and there are, there is no sign of a solution. So I think. Um, to some extent, um, there, there's been a process of attrition. People ideally want to stay in their country or, or in the surrounding countries if they can. Um, they're seeing that 
uh, the situation which they're facing in, in Syria and in the, in the camps in uh, Lebanon, Jordan and elsewhere is for the long term. And so I think that is having an impact on people deciding to come um, to Europe now. Yeah. I think there's also an effect um, that, um, that, that, that people are hearing about sort of reactions to the growing number of refugees um, in Turkey, um, the talk of border, border control, but also I think there's been an impact of um, the reactions from European countries talking much more about external border control, um, which has made people um, uh, believe that this is the moment um, to move now. Um, and, and it has ad had a kind of um, adverse uh, pull effect, if you like. Um, and then finally, I think um, that we saw an impact over the summer. There are always higher numbers um, of, 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 of migrants during the summer months when um, the sea routes um, and some of the land routes are, are, are more possible to cross than, than they will be in the winter months. So I think there's a mix of reasons mm. um, uh, that, that has all sort of conflated into this problem over the last few months. Do, do you sense, I mean, Europe, Europe's going to be picking up a, a large share of these uh, refugees and, and migrants. Um, do you sense that Lebanon, Jordan and Turkey are doing enough on, in their front, on their side? I mean, I think it would be very hard to say that they weren't. Um, I, I think that the, the bigger question is whether um, Western countries are doing enough to, to support them um, in terms of the numbers that they're hosting in the region. We saw, um, in terms of the support which is coming via the UN for um, these host camps for refugees, um, funds were literally kind of already running out before the recent um, surge of, um, of refugees that we've seen um, through the summer of 2015. Um, and so um, they there was already a crisis in terms of funding there. Uh, it is part of the conversation now among European states to, to think about redirecting aid towards um, these countries um, and to, to think about sort of supporting them in, 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 in other ways, politically, diplomatically, um, in terms of training and so on. Um, uh, but, I, uh, but I think in terms of the effects that we're seeing, um, it's, it's, it's early days yet. And um, so I, I, think, um, I think that... Uh, that there is a real challenge there for, for those host camps in the region. And there, there, there's, there's a, a chronic long-term issue um, that the camps simply aren't set up um, for, uh, for, for people to live there um, permanently. There's no, for, for most of the refugees hosted in the region, there's no right to work. There's very little access to, um, uh, to, to, to health care, to education and so on. So we're, we're, we're storing up structural problems for the future in terms of the, um, the lack of hope for the people living in these situations in, in those countries. Oh, it really is a global, it's a global problem. It's a global uh, crisis. It's a global, it's, and, it, and it seems like it would demand solutions from all over the world. I think, I think that's right. Um, I think that um, the, what we have seen in Europe um, in the course of this year is we've seen the effects of um, a lack of effective diplomacy um, on uh, the, the Syrian conflict, also the wider challenges with the Islamic State. Um, and elsewhere, um, we've, we've seen that really come home to roost, um, that, that these, these conflicts, um, the, the challenges which the, these regions are facing, um, can't be left 
um, to, to simmer uh, over a number of years with no, no attention paid to them. And, and what uh, European leaders are having to face up to now that, um, is that the only real solutions over the long term are in terms of foreign policy, working with um, the UN, um, with the US, um, with regional actors, uh, with more uh, influence on the conflicts in the Middle East, um, Gulf states, Turkey and others, Iran. Um, that um, the, the, these are the things which European states need to, to face up to doing now um, in, in order that um, this, this refugee po- picture won't become a permanent one. Mm. And I know in your article, um, 10 Home Truths on Europe's Refugee Crisis, I mean, the, you you talk about the the absorption the the euro the European nation absorbing so many of these people and one of the things that I know really created uh, I guess some some issues was when there finally was some allocation when certain uh, um, when certain numbers were allocated to every country that we were going to take this many refugees maybe talk about what what was the backlash there and and really what's happening in Europe and even the United States and how the how the US we keep hearing that we're going to be receiving um some of these refugees but just talk to us about really what is happening and what part the US is also going to be playing well in terms of the in terms of the European um decision um recently on quotas, this was about handling the stock of refugees who currently arrived in Europe um, and um, there is undue, undue pressure on the sort of the border states of the EU, so um, Italy and Greece to the south, um, Hungary, Croatia, um, round to the east. Um, and this was about sharing that responsibility between the European states. It, there, there's no um, secret in the fact that it was a political fight. This was something that was pushed through um, by a majority vote, um, but led through by, um, by by Germany and France at the forefront, saying that you know if if we're going to live up to being the Europe of values that we want to be, then everybody needs to play their part within this. And and as you saw, some states. Um, uh, particularly um, in Central and Eastern Europe, where there is less of a culture of immigration, much more of a culture of emigration um, over the past 50 years or so, um, then they, 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 they really struggled with that politically. So um, this, is, this is something which is affecting Europe too. I think in terms of, um, sorry, affecting European cohesion, if you like, um, politically as well. Right. I think in terms of the U.S., um, the, the discussion um, is, is obviously not about stock um, because you're not seeing so many arrivals coming right. to the U.S. This is about flow. Um, and, um, and I think the, the decision will be um, through the U.N. Um, system um, uh, which states are willing to sign up to resettling refugees who are currently in the, the host camps in the, in the region that, that we were talking about earlier. Um, and, um, uh, and, and I know there is some pressure um, that, that the U.S. takes a larger number than is currently the case um, through, through that system. Yeah, okay. So, so we'll be getting those not that are just pressing on, you know, the border countries of the EU. We'll be taking those that are in the camps in Jordan and uh, Turkey. I imagine that that will be the case. Um, I can't see a scenario in which pe- uh, um, arrivals already in the EU would um, 
would would come to the U.S. Um, uh, as we were saying, there's, there's intense pressure on, um, on on host countries in the Middle East, and uh, and, and I think the most likely outcome would be that um, the, the U.S. is asked to relieve pressure there. Okay, let's do this, Susie. Let's take a break. We're speaking with uh, Susie Dennison. And um, Susie is the co-director of European Power Program at the European Council on Foreign Relations. She, um, she is doing what she can to educate us and inform us about the Euro migration crisis. You've heard about the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people coming from all different um, parts of, of North Africa, of Syria, and uh, fleeing a lot of, um, uh, of the ISIS uh, wars as well as the Syrian um, civil war. Oh, man, a lot of people in dire need and um, of help and attention, and they're just crossing the borders. Refugees, folks, running uh, for their lives Many case, in many cases. We'll take a break. Come back, continue this discussion with Susie Dennison. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Everybody to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about, uh, you've heard the stories on the news and seen the families crossing the borders uh, in Europe, doing whatever they can to keep their children alive, crossing the Mediterranean Sea, even at the loss of life. Just uh, the tragic stories of hundreds of thousands of migrants and refugees looking for safety um, and folks, uh, even our own government is now saying we're going to step up. We will we will step up and and start uh, bringing and accepting many of these refugees into the United States um, a year. In fact, 70 to 100,000 a year um, is what has been promised by our secretary of state. On the phone with us today is Susie Dennison, co-director of European Power Program at the European Council on Foreign Relations. She works on a range of projects, including the annual scorecard and the European Union's global strategy. Um, and she's here today to help us make sense of what's going on over in Europe and uh, and help us see what might be coming eventually to um, the United States when it comes to some of the big decisions that have to be made. Susie Dennison, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Help us with the numbers. One of the things that I think is a little confusing is it looks like about 160,000 people, uh, refugees, migrants, uh, economic migrants, will be will be admitted into the the EU. It looks like, but um, but really, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands more uh, all over. So so help me understand what are the real numbers? What do they look like? How many still need to to go somewhere? So the 160,000 figure is um, uh, the number of uh, refugees which um, European states have agreed to resettle under the um, burden sharing, the quota system, uh, which was reported. So um, these, these are people who have arrived in um, Greece, Italy, and um, on, on the border countries um, around the east as well, Hungary, Croatia, and elsewhere. Um, 
and who have um, applied for asylum in those states, um, they're, they're being, uh, this is a group who are being shared out between other EU states. The primary country which um, these people um, often want to go to is, is Germany. Um, Sweden is also another popular destination. Um, but this quota system is about trying to make sure that the pressure is put uh, where it can be absorbed most easily. Um, in terms of actual arrivals, um, the numbers are much higher. Uh, this is really hard to say because um, uh, you, you, you only get kind of official data from um, people who, who arrive and go through the official processing routes on, a, on, a, on arrival. Not everyone does. But just Germany alone estimates that it will received, uh, have received somewhere between 1.5 million and 1.8 million applications for asylum in 2015. So these are people arriving um, uh, and, and, and saying that they should be recognized as refugees who haven't yet been. Mm. Um, so, um, so you can see that the 160,000 figure um, for, um, for, for the quotas was an important um, decision. It was an important political decision that um, EU states were going to work together on this. But it's only actually dealing with a very small part yeah. of the problem. Why, why has the UK and have they, have they opted out to not, uh, to not help to resettle some? Yes, exactly. The UK has opted out. Um, the UK has uh, made it clear um, since um, uh, since around May time when this quota system uh, was was first being discussed that they wouldn't play any part in it. Um, I won't get into the sort of the technicalities of the legal structures um, of the EU, but the UK has what's called an opt-out um, of the Schengen area, which is the agreement around um, free movement between EU states. Um, but so do Ireland and Denmark, hmm. um, and they've opted into the quota system. So this was a very clear political signal from the UK government that it saw itself as, um, uh, as, as, as separate from this problem. The UK is doing um, some uh, making efforts separately in terms of resettling refugees who haven't arrived in Europe um, but who are currently in refugee camps um, in the Middle East. Um, but still, these are relatively low figures compared to, to the potential there. Um, the, um, the kind of the political, domestic political context for the UK um, is that there's a referendum coming up on the UK's membership of the European Union, um, which will take place by the end of 2017. And basically, everything that the UK government um, uh, is doing in relation to Europe um, at the moment is perceived through that lens. And migration is a politically toxic issue um, in. in in, in the UK debate, and that is why um, the, the UK government has taken the decision that it has not to show solidarity mm. um, at a European level on this. Wow, and it, it seems like um, Germany—it's—it's it's the place that a lot of the migrants and the refugees want to go. But it also seems like a place that's already done, gone above and beyond its responsibility in helping. I guess nearly eight hundred thousand total this year, if that number is accurate. What is it about Germany? So um, Germany, um, and, and but the, I, I think I think there's also been a, a very clear personal initiative on this from Angela Merkel, who is taking political risk um, in, in in doing this. Um, uh, has 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 basically um, seen this refugee crisis as a, as a test case of of whether Europe really stands for what it says it does. Hmm. Um, uh, Germany obviously has a, a sort of a, a certain history. Um, uh, uh, in terms of um, the, the Second World War and so on, 
um, and 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 feels a sense of um, historical responsibility that it was a country that was shown support in its time of crisis, um, uh, uh, and 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 refugees fleeing Germany were were shown support um, uh, in the rest of Europe and elsewhere. Um, so um, it, it, it 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 does see things through that lens. But there is um, a very clear um, debate within Germany about whether this is the right thing to do, whether this is going to um, push um, the German system uh, to its limits, and um, Angela Merkel is, is under fire on that at the moment. I don't know if you um, uh, uh, picked up in the States that over the weekend there was quite an important mayoral election in Vienna in Austria, just next door. Yeah. Um, Austria has also taken a relatively open um, approach to the, to the refugee crisis in terms of opening up its borders, but it's important to say not many refugees are staying in Austria. A lot of them are moving through um, to, to Germany and elsewhere. Um, but um, that that mayoral election, which the Social Democrats did win um, uh, against um, a, a far right contender, um, uh, was was seen as a real test case for the extent to which um, uh, the 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 decision to be open to um, to refugees in Europe was was being accept, accepted by the the domestic population. Mm. Um, but uh, but yes, I mean the the, it, the Germany um, is, um, is is by far and away. Um, the, the leader in terms of driving European states to, to be more open on this issue. I've even seen articles about um, Angela Merkel's, you know, that she needs to, this this should get her the Nobel Peace Prize. She's so active and, and you know, strong in, in saving so many of these, uh, these migrants. So um, is it one of the concerns I know the United States has, and I'm sure it's, you see it over there, is how how do we make sure that those that are coming across the border, those that are getting access into these countries, that they don't have any ill intent, that they're not terrorists, that they don't, um, you know, that they're not coming in on one of these uh, as a refugee, really to just create problems for their countries. Right. I mean, this um, the the kind of the the security terrorism um, uh, migrant right. is 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 a real challenge, and um, and it's something which which European states are are extremely concerned about. Um, uh, the, the 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 kind of the whole free movement debate um, was already. Um, uh, uh, under deep discussion following um, a thwarted attack on um, uh, on, on a, a Talis train between Paris and Brussels over the summer, um, so this issue is very live in, in, in people's minds, and um, and that that I think is why um, uh, now that the decision has been taken on um, the quota system, the real political emphasis now is on uh, finding ways to uh, control Europe's external borders um, and um, trying to sort of regain. Um, uh, some kind of purchase on the situation because there's a very strong sense that freedom of movement within and between European states is only workable if you're controlling who is coming in from the outside. Um, so there's, um, there are big discussions now about, um, uh, about more resource for collective border control, um, about processing of asylum applica- applications outside Europe to try and make sure that um, uh, that the, the people who are coming have, have already been kind of vetted in, the, in, 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 in that sense. 
um, and a number of other initiatives, um, agreements about safe countries to try and ensure that the people who are coming are, are genuinely refugees. Um, but the challenge here is that there's very little um, agreement between European states about what the right approach is to go down on, the, on these issues are. Um, so there are intense negotiations up ahead on all of this. Mm. You say uh, this is a test. Really, I mean, according to like Angela Merkel, if, about what the EU really stands for and if they're going to walk their talk, how, how do you feel it's going in the EU? Are they – is this becoming incredibly divisive? Is it – do you see any unifying positive signs that uh, it's strengthening the EU? People say that the European Union grows through crises, um, but I think that this is a crisis which is really, um, uh, which is really existential in its nature for Europe. Um, you you see um, a coming together of um, uh, of the sort of the the financial elements of the eurozone crisis, of uh, um, the foreign policy elements of um, the the Ukraine crisis, the Syria crisis that Europe hasn't been grappling with over um, a number of years, but that's also generating a real kind of of political crisis between states and um, uh, among domestic national populations. There's been a real surge in um, popularity of populist and far-right parties across Europe in recent years, but, but particularly these parties are, um, are doing particularly well um, over, the, over recent months in polling um, in, uh, bit, bit in reaction to the refugee crisis. So this is all coming together in a, in a really difficult way for the European Union. Add to that that you've got this discussion that I mentioned too about whether or not the UK wants to stay in, um, whether there needs to be reopening of treaties um, in order to handle that, and you've got a really very difficult situation for mm. the European Union at the moment. In terms of how it's being handled, um, I mean, uh, I, I wouldn't like to hazard a guess about um, where we'll be by the end of the year, um, but I would say that um, at the moment, German leadership is um, is proving positive. Um, I think that um, Merkel's judgment has been well exercised in terms of how far she's pushed other member states on this. Um, I think the real test will be the extent to which there remains a kind of a public pressure behind leaders um, to um, to to focus on the kind of the values aspect of this about um, uh, humanitarian support um, for, for refugees arriving. Um, if, if that pressure stays, if European citizens can continue to say that's what they want from their governments, then I think Europe will work its way through this crisis as it has with crises before and maybe even grow from it. Um, but if that falls away and there have been signs in terms of um, there was a recent um, piece in the Washington Post um, about um, interest in the refugee crisis across Europe dripping, dripping away. Um, I think um, I think if that pressure comes off governments, then um, then th there is a chance that this will be a crisis that that breaks Europe because um, division will be allowed to to lead in terms of how we handle this um, this, this this challenge and um, and solutions will only be found under pressure. I think. Oh yeah, wow. Well, I you know it's such a and here we sit over in the United States, kind of watching it. And, I, and I'm sure we could play a bigger role in it. Just um, really quickly, Susie, what, what do you think – what more could we be doing? What should we as an average U.S. citizen be thinking and doing instead of just watching the suffering? Is there anything we can do? Well, 
um, I mean, we talked about the um, the falling away of support for um, via the UN for host camps in the region. I think it's really critical that that large states like um, the US step up to that challenge, um, both in terms of um, uh, direct aid um, from governments, but also um, through um, NGOs and, and and charities who are who are supporting work in this area. Um, I think political pressure is also important. Um, uh, you know, keeping um, uh, keeping the message clear to European states that um, uh, that the US uh, needs needs them to tackle um, the issues on their doorstep, but it also needs Europe to stay together, um, and that's that's the kind of the body that um, that the, the the US prefers to work with now, um, uh, the European Union as opposed to individual states. Um, I think that's a, that's an important message too. And then I think also um, leading by example is important. And so um, uh, a statement um, uh, by taking in resettling refugees from the region on the US's part would be would be really significant um, uh, in terms of European states not being able to argue that they're the only ones dealing with this. Sure. Well, yeah. And yeah, it's one thing to just sit there and watch. It's another to to put our money where our mouth is. Uh, well, Susie, we appreciate you. Really great, uh, great insight. And we wish you the best of luck in your work over there, which sounds hectic, um, to say the least. <laughs> Thank you very much. Best of luck to you over <laughs> there. And um, really, folks, when you think about it, it's all of us. It's this is we live in a world, a global world. I mean, a global economy, a global um, system. And when uh, one of one part of the the system is suffering, we're all going to suffer one way or another. Interesting stuff. The EU migration crisis, which really is the world migration crisis. I mean, a lot of these people, remember, are refugees running from ISIS, running from uh, from those from life threatening problems. We're here to help. Somehow, we got to step up and uh, be a solution to the problem, not just complain about it. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back giving you more ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, what an interesting world we live in where, you know, problems in North Africa, decisions that we've made in the Middle East and North Africa have refugees and, you know, economic migrants fleeing those areas, some floating in horrible ships across the Mediterranean only to be, you know, told no at the border. And meanwhile, back in the United States, we have our own border issues. And there's a difference, right, between a migrant and a refugee. Many of these people are fleeing Syria because they're being killed. They're being barrel bombed by Assad, and all of a sudden, they're now, they've got to get out of the country. Where are they to go? Angela Merkel, I'm telling you, 800,000 of these migrants have made it to Germany. And Angela Merkel is sitting there saying, look, we were a country that 
that understands the importance of the refugee, that understands this. Because of our history, we need to walk our talk. Now, 50% of her population are for what she's doing and half 50% are against. So she's taking a stand. It's, to me, pretty amazing leadership. Meanwhile, our leaders have said, you know, in the next few years, we'll be taking about, I think, 100000 a year to absorb into the United States to help them relocate and resettle. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, yeah, sure. Uh, we'll help. Uh. Man, where much is given, much is expected, isn't it? Well, yeah, but we've got to make sure they're not terrorists because they're coming from these ter- terrorist areas. Sure, I totally agree. Folks, it's a crazy, crazy life, right, that we live. And um, we've got to ask ourselves, and it's easy because we've always been the big superpower that always has, you know, we're always one up on everyone else. But there's going to be a day where we're not. But um, what should we be doing morally? What is what is the decision? And so watch it, folks. When you watch the news, there's always a real consequence. And these people have to go somewhere. Ah, no easy answers, is it? There's no easy answers to uh, these these really complicated issues. Anyway, hoping uh, just to give you more insight, more information, so that you can you know make a better judgment when you watch the news. We'll take a break, my friends. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the it's in the can. Come back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to live longer, to love stronger, and to lead the life you want to lead. You know, it's one thing to just watch the news. Then you get the news, but many times you don't know what the news means to you. Today, by the way, happy Columbus Day. Columbus Day. Are kids out of school today? No, I don't think so. Mine are. Okay, yours are in school. Okay. But mine are, you know. Mine probably have to be in school. <laughs> yeah. Today's just extra day, Today. extra time when they needed it, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. Today is the day uh, that that where we sign that uh, we commemorate, I guess, Christopher Columbus's arrival to America on October twelfth, fourteen ninety two. Colorado first observed Columbus Day in nineteen oh six, as it became an official state holiday. And um, more and more people and states began to recognize Columbus Day. In 1937, Columbus Day became a federal holiday in the United States. So if it's a federal holiday, we should be, you know, having the day off. Mm-hmm. There are many instances of people observing Columbus's voyage since the colonial period. In 1792, there were celebrations in New York and other cities celebrating the 300th anniversary of his landing in the New World. President Benjamin Harrison called upon the people of the United States to join together in celebration of Columbus Day on the 400th anniversary of the event. And during the anniversary in 1892, teachers, preachers, and poets and politicians 
used Columbus Day rituals to teach the ideals of patriotism. Good. <sighs> happy, happy Columbus Day. And how many times when you know it's a federal holiday do you go out to your mailbox to get the mail? Never. <laughs> I do, do that all the time. Oh, whoops. We don't do get you? the mail today. Do you know what? Our, our postal workers are delivering on Saturday and Sunday. They are? Like overnight mail. You know, I have had, had a couple of packages come on Sunday, which yeah. kind of was surprising to me. I think it's I think it's the United States Postal Service. Oh. They're delivering like overnighted stuff. Huh. It's weird because all of a sudden we're like, hey, you're supposed to keep the Sabbath day holy, pal. Yeah, hello. Did I tell you I sent my son some cereal in Tokyo? No. He's on his mission yeah. in Tokyo. And uh, he kept saying, Mom, I haven't received it. I thought, wow, I've sent that a long time ago. Well, come to find out it had been sitting in customs for three weeks because it had beef jerky in it. The you cereal had, had beef jerky? Or no, you not also the, had the beef package. Had, I kind of thought, well, I'll surprise him. So I threw in some other yeah, treats, and he right. loves beef jerky. Oh, yeah. And they wouldn't let it go because they had beef jerky. Any idea why that would be? Well, it's because there's ja- the Japanese uh, beef is the greatest <laughs> beef ever. So they don't want American beef getting mixed into the Japanese beef. Yeah, so apparently there were some missionaries in the mission office that called them and just said, you know what, just get rid of the beef jerky and forward the rest of the package. So yeah. they did, but for some reason they confiscated the beef jerky. But you know, you've got my mind thinking now, maybe there needs to be a breakfast cereal with beef jerky in it. Yeah, that might be good. I would eat that. Salty in the sweet. Oh. Maybe throw it in with, you know, Captain Crunch yes, or something. Yes, not Captain Crunch because no? it makes my mouth bleed. That's true. <laughs> it shreds my mouth. <laughs> Captain Isn't Glass. that strange, though? Yeah. I looked on, you know, I looked on where it says the uh, things you cannot send, and I don't recall it saying beef, beef jerky. jerky. Yeah. Can you send live animals? Probably not. How about fresh produce? I, he would he would love that because uh, fruit there is so expensive, is and he it? loves like peaches uh-huh. and nectarines. Yeah, the way it he's in Japan. Him. He's in Tokyo. Holy cow! Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he's having a great time. But the beef jerky thing kind of caught me off guard a little bit. It's a uh, it's a big deal. Yeah, don't send beef jerky to Japan. Don't don't do it. By the way, today is also Native American Day, National Free Thought Day, which we we like to talk about because that ended the Salem witch hunts, witch trials. Because you gotta you gotta have free thought, think, use your head. <laughs> Man, I've been telling that to Ben every day. National Farmers Day, and that was great news. Ben found a date on farmersonly.com. Farm- uh-huh. Well, my my single farmers dot com. Oh, there's there, there, there's two, two different, different ones? sites. Yeah. There are not. Yeah. <laughs> and you, and the date was great. He went on a date, everybody, and and he found himself a farmer's daughter. And he went to see the Martian. Yeah, and we churned butter for for a little while. And uh-huh. It was good. And was you okay. apparently you held hands or kissed or something because it was the second date. Because when I said that last time, your face went red and you smiled. Well, I mean, our hands touched while we were t- churning butter. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. I don't know if that counts. Probably not. It's also National Gumbo Day. Do you like gumbo, Kathy? I love gumbo. I do like gumbo. Mm. I, I haven't had it too often, but I, I had it Ugh. when I was in Texas, and that was very good. I think I'm I hungry. think they probably make it better there. I think they do. Have you ever had a uh, like a Cajun cook-off where they just cook everything in buckets and then they pour it all on the table? I've never been there. And you no. just it's you just a fish. Like it's like a fish fry thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you. Sounds good. I'm starving. Right now, though, that doesn't sound very good. I have doesn't to tell it? You. No. For breakfast? No. Oh, you, you're probably full of jerky. Yes, I had to eat the beef Ooh. jerky. No, I think they incinerated it, so I I'm, think it's gone. I've been eating jerky all morning. <laughs> anyway, today is a great day, folks. Um, it's 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 all of these days: Native American Day, National Free Thought Day, but most importantly, it's National Kick Butt Day. 
So go out and kick so, some. So food. go out and get going. <laughs> I don't know why we need a day to do that because no. it seems like every day should be that. Are you wanting to change jobs? Today's the day. Today's the day. <laughs> anyway, good stuff. Kathy, give us the headlines. Anything going on around the world? Plenty, Matt. Good morning, everyone. A new CBS News poll shows Hillary Clinton leading Bernie Sanders. Clinton with 46% of the vote to Sanders, 27%. Tomorrow night, we finally get to hear from the Democrats as they have their first presidential debate in Las Vegas. Sanders talked about what the upcoming election is all about. At a time when so few have so much and when the big money interests have so much political power, the real most important question is who is prepared to mobilize the American people to stand up to these very powerful and wealthy special interests. On the GOP side, Donald Trump continues to lead with 27 percent of the vote vote to Ben Carson's 21 percent, all of the rest of the Republican field in single digits. Last night on CBS's 60 Minutes, President Obama talked about numerous issues, including the controversy surrounding Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server. I don't think it posed a national security problem. I think that it, uh, it was a mistake that she's acknowledged. As a general proposition, when we're in these offices, we have to be more sensitive and stay as far away from the line as possible when it comes to how we handle information, how we handle our own personal data. Uh, and, you know, she made a mistake. She's acknowledged it. Obama also said he believes the controversy has been all about politics. I think she'd be the first to acknowledge that you know, maybe she could have handled the original decision better and the disclosures uh, more quickly. This is one of those issues that I think is legitimate, but the fact that for the last three months this is all that's been spoken about is an indication that we're in presidential political season. The president also discussed the protracted crisis in Syria, saying improvement takes time. And when asked if he was able to run again, would he be elected? The president quickly said yes. On Capitol Hill, the House continues to look for a new Speaker of the House to replace John Boehner. Yesterday, the House Republicans' most powerful conservative group, the House Freedom Caucus, said they would consider Wisconsin's Paul Ryan. Ryan, the House House Ways and Means Committee chairman, has declined all invitations so far. Utah Congressman Jason Chaffetz, who threw his name into the ring, talked about what the House needs to get done. we got to change things. Uh, we need a fresh start. Uh, we have a, a gulf and a divide that needs to be bridged. Uh, we need a speaker, I think, who takes the communications uh, realm and, and drives the discussion in this country about what it is we're standing for and what it is we're trying to do. And, uh, and so we're going through that exercise because Speaker Boehner stepped down and the majority leader decided that we do need a fresh face. The full chamber vote for a new speaker is set for October 29th. During a closed-door trial in Iran, Washington Post reporter Jason Rezaian was found guilty yesterday on various allegations. Though it's not clear what he was convicted for, he faces multiple charges, including espionage. The verdict has been criticized by the U.S. government as well as press freedom organizations. Southwest Airlines had some major technology issues yesterday, creating long lines and delays at airports across the country. But the airline announced this morning the issues have been fixed and expect business as usual. Los Angeles Dodgers second baseman Chase Utley has been suspended two games by Major League Baseball after this play on Saturday. Jason hits it toward third, backing up on his right. They get one at second. How about that slide by Utley? But the Mets are still able to turn the double play. 
That from TBS. Utley's hard slide into second to break up a double play ended up breaking the leg of New York Mets shortstop Ruben Tejada. Tejada, excuse me. The Mets and Dodgers play game three tonight in New York. Utley's suspension will be appealed and could be decided before tonight's game. Also tonight, Kansas City plays Houston, Toronto visits Texas, and the Cardinals face the Cubs at Wrigley Field. And Matt, an Oklahoma man who had consumed large amounts of alcohol at his birthday party recently, discovered when he returned home that he had been shot twice. (laughs) The man was shot in the shoulder and the buttock, and the wounds were not (laughs) life-threatening. While driving home with a designated driver, the man and his brother heard popping noises. And when they got home, they saw bullet holes in the car and that the birthday boy was bleeding. Hey, did you hear popping noises? The victim's mother drove him to the hospital. Police say they have no suspects in the case. I don't know. I, I think you would kind of feel that in the shoulder and the, yeah. in the buttock. I yeah. don't know. Something, yes. something in my buttocks hurts. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I was thinking, yeah, you could probably feel that pretty quickly. Two shots. Two shots. And you didn't, it didn't like, whoa. Whoa, hey, there's bullet holes in the car. Oh, wow, you're bleeding. Wow. Okay. Hey, Jimmy, I know it's your birthday and everything, but your shoulder's bleeding the, <laughs> something fierce. Yeah. Oh well. What's all the seat? You know, just don't drink. That'll that'll stop. But all you know, that that's stuff. interesting. Reagan got shot, and he didn't know he was shot. Yeah. Until you know, a few minutes. It's probably the adrenaline. Yeah. And in the Reagan's man I believe case. that saved him just died. Yeah, it just was passed it last away. Week? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. You remember that very whole thing vividly. Yeah. I remember that was watching awful. that after yeah. school. Oh, it was sad. Um, you were about two at the time. I was. I, no, I wish. <laughs> I was about twenty-eight. <laughs> Not going to school. Um, yeah, I think you're pretty. You need. You've got a drinking problem if you don't know you've been shot. Uh huh. Yep. I mean, I used to pick up a lot of those guys when I was in the old ambulance business. What got you started into that anyway? The girls. I, the girls. The girls. I thought so EMT was a. That's hot. Uh-huh. A hot. Well, because apparently women supposedly like guys in uniform. But just not. I found out not EMT not uniforms. Not EMT uniforms. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's just. Well, I admire. I admire EMTs because I could never see what they see. Oh, it's pretty. It you. Yeah. It's not bad. What you see is, for me, the seeing never bothered me. It was the smells that killed me. Really. Yeah. Oh, I, could, I can't. I could see even, anything. I couldn't even watch my kids get their shots. So. Oh, you can, could, oh, see. Yeah. yeah no. You've got such a good I've heart. I've got an issue. My yeah. heart's a little hard. <laughs> it's a little hard-hearted. And then that whole slide to second base, are you kidding me? Breaks his leg, femur. a femur break. Yeah. Oh, that, that was nasty. Femurs are the, the worst that things. That is a bad one. Yeah. That's, there's nothing but pain on a femur. That is a serious break. Did you see any of those as any of Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you have to – it's called – you have to pull traction. So you have to – because that's a lot of gross Wasn't stuff. that the, – the, the problem with that is it's so close to a major artery, right? Well, it is. Because they could bleed out. Well, and when the leg breaks, the muscles of in the thigh pull the broken bones – Onto each other, back against each other. Oh, really? So you have to, which is what would cut the artery, the uh-huh. femoral artery. So then you have to kind of pull traction on the knee oh, to keep it and apart. And the patient is just screaming? They scream until you get really good traction, and then they're like, ah, oh, it feels better. I mean, relatively better. Yeah, that sounds horrible. But you put a brace on that you actually, it's a traction splint, and you actually are pulling the foot away oh. from the hip. Do you, do you give them any pain relief before oh, you do no. that? Oh, no. Because it has to be Yeah, they quick. do. They do. Yeah. Oh, that sounds it's, horrible. It's bad. But it beats, you know, the alternative, which is having your leg shrink by about four inches. <laughs> that would not be good. It'll kill you. Yes. It's a big break. <laughs> it's a pretty big break. But again, Way yeah. to go, Matt. I, I just yeah. – I admire you manly. more and more every day. Well, I, well you, know? you know what? I, you you know? can do that. That's pretty amazing. So if anybody goes down, I'll take care of you. Okay. I'll not, be calling you. Not Ben. I won't take it. I'll like call security for Ben. But um, I'll take care of you, Ben.
Ben, if you need mouth-to-mouth, I'll go find 20 people to deliver. I'll die. I'll send, I'll send Kathy to find people, and then I'll just I'll begin compressions. <sighs> we're here to save your life. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've, we're going to uh, – we've got some Ask Matt questions, um, just stuff we found, interesting questions that uh, – that I get to respond to, and also we might learn a little bit more about how my brain works. And if we have time, we're even going to get to some some rules and tools for hobbies for you and your spouse. You know, a lot of times your spouse doesn't have the same hobbies that you do. What are you supposed to do with that? How do we merge and blend our hobbies instead of just throwing away the marriage? Stick with us, folks. All of that plus more. BYU Sports Nation will be with us. In just a couple more breaks, stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, joining us in studio, producer Terry South, the man, the myth, the legend. He's here today to help us with uh, today's topic. What are we doing today, Terry? Is this what are we calling this section, this segment? Ask Matt. Because Does that work. We have a lot of people that ask questions. A lot of questions Ben wants. He, he wants me to answer, and yet he doesn't. He's too embarrassed to bring them up. So. Um, you know, like, do you remember the question, at, you know, what date, when's the appropriate time to kiss yes. a girl from the far, Farmer's Almanac? From FarmersOnly.com? FarmersOnly.com. I'm like, like let the me, Almanac. Let what me you... check the Farmer's Almanac and I'll let you know when the farmers are most receptive to a kiss from a Hawaiian Th- Those area. commercials are just hilarious. They're great. Some guy's driving through an orchard on a tractor and uh-huh. he goes, you know... I was looking at some of them dating sites, and all you run into is all them city folk, you know? And I, I really need to find someone who knows who I am as a person. Yeah. Who gets me and my world? I need a farmer girl. <laughs> That's where Ben found his last one, which I, I think is fantastic. Yeah, it's great. I didn't even know Ben was a farmer. Yeah. I thought he was just from Hawaii. I, th- I thought he was like a Hawaiian boy. I used a certain amount of trickery. Okay. So. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So you've got questions. Questions. Let's we hear a lot from you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's not necessarily about you. It's about whatever the topic is that we're, we're yeah. on. So yeah. I thought, why don't, we, why don't we learn something about Matt? Okay, this is fun. This will be like a game almost. It'll be a game almost. Oh, yeah. Except if, I was thinking if we, threw, game. if we threw game show music on it, then people might get confused because there's no actual like winner and loser. That's a great point. Great point. No game. But it is a game. It is a game. Okay. So uh, when you were five years old, or, you know, a little kid, okay, what did you want to be? What did you want to grow up to be? Hmm. I wanted to grow up to be Steve Garvey. Okay. Who was a, a catcher for the Dodgers. Yeah. That may have been like when I was seven or eight. Yeah. So you had the, 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 the sports hero, I want to be that yeah. person guy. I wanted to be that guy. Or Pat Hayden. Okay. The Rams quarterback that's now the, the USC athletic director athletic dealing director, with those problems. Which now I wouldn't want to be because Steve <laughs> Sarkeesian's having a hard year. Yes. Um, but uh, I wanted to be that. I interestingly wanted to be a paramedic. 
That was what you wanted uh-huh. to be. So when I was a kid, I would play paramedic because I would watch the show Rescue 911. Okay. No, 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 no. not 911. That's a Just different Rescue. Show. Okay. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I go, the other one's yeah. on comedy. Res- I don't know. Yeah, Rescue, but Rescue it was called. Or Emergency? It was Emergency, I believe. Emergency. And that's where, that's when they used to have little paramedic trucks in LA. And yeah. So I wanted to be a paramedic, which is probably why I became an EMT. You know what I mean? See, I had, so I fulfilled that dream. Now, did you carry that dream or do you think the dream left and then you kind of because some you know you 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 grow up like I want to be a firefighter I yeah. want to be a police officer and then that sort of goes away but then sometimes yeah. it it returns did it return because of your childhood or did it return because you had a renewed interest in for the reasons yeah no it didn't it returned because uh, I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to be okay when I was older. you were searching I was searching you and know so but you it went out, with that job <laughs> this is this is why it's important that parents. Stay home with your kids because I was a latchkey kid. So in the summer, I had a lot of time by myself because if my sisters, they were supposed to be babysitting me, but then, you know, one of them would go somewhere. And so at age eight or whatever, seven, I'd be left alone. Yeah. And I would just play. I just play ambulance or whatever. Okay. And um, (laughs) did you get wounded and you had to bind your own wounds? No, no, I never got wounded. I was always I was always the medic there to help. But I do remember. (laughs) <laughs> playing with my white teddy bear okay, uh, on my mom's four-poster bed. That was the ambulance, four-poster bed. Mm-hmm. And I would use um, an enema bag as an IV. Okay. <laughs> and um, I'd just use all of these. i just use like my mom's hair curlers as something. I don't even know what it all was. But it was all equipment in the ambulance. Okay. And then they caught me. And they're like, what are you doing? And they're like, do you have any idea what that bag is right there? And I'm like, yeah, it's an IV bag for my bear, Mom. Get off my back. She's like, yeah, well, we're not playing with that anymore. Okay. Man. But uh, I never got it out of my system, apparently. Then I, when I was an adult, I had a shot to go be an EMT. Bada boom, bada bing. The ladies like – listen, Ben. The ladies like a guy in uniform. Depends on the uniform, though. But, like, Ben could wear, like, you know, he could be a milkman – could be. They don't really wear a, a uniform like back in the day, the stereotypical black yeah. man in the white uniform. Right. But no. I, I'm, I'm not – I mean I think maybe women like men in all uniforms. Or is it I, just I've been, military? I've been told there's certain uniforms yeah. that are higher on the list than others. That's true. I so, worked at Pizza Hut for a while. Yeah. That's right. You know what? Yeah. I'm sure some women would love that. <laughs> if you have pie in hand. Oh. That's good living. Yeah. Rolling that way. All that's right. That's it. Okay. Um, who is the person you've learned the most from in life? Holy cow, really? Yeah. Wow. Does it have to be a, a, a human that I've met? I would, if it was asked of me, I would say Batman, so. Wow, that's yeah. shallow. <laughs> that's really what you would say? No. It just, that is so it, It'd be shallow. on the list, though. Uh, He's a deep guy. Yeah. Fighting crime. Wow. Um... Because I uh, – Stephen Covey is okay. one. He's one guy. But I mean – No, you worked with him. I worked with him. I got to sit in – A lot of people say they learned a lot from him, but they've read his books. Yeah. You actually met him. I got, him, I got with to him. work in his office and read his stuff but and work on but, – but his was more just how he organized thought, helped me end up organizing my thoughts later. Um, his brother, John Covey, he's a great guy. I got to work a lot with him. 
and he 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 was a great mentor. Um, part of it really is more just. I mean, I had a I had a friend growing up that was kind of my young men's leader, the leader that was over the young men. His name was Bart Summerhays. He helped me a lot mm-hmm. because he. I remember him telling me, "No, you're going to school," because I didn't know if I was going to go to college because no one in my family had gone to college until my sisters, you know, started going, and then. I didn't know if I was a college guy. You know, I thought pretty sure I'd just be an EMT. Right. A paramedic because I saved so many of my – And it was on TV. Yeah, and it was on TV. I thought it would be on TV. And so that's the way it was going to be was however the TV episode went. Yeah. And they always end up saving the person. Right. Everything's perfect. Right. There's an explosion. Uh-huh. Things are exciting. Something big. And then, yeah, you got to rappel down something and save someone. Right. So I was pretty sure that would happen. Uh, I would say – and then Bart Summerhays helped me because he basically said, no, 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 you're going to go to school. For sure. So that helped. A little guidance there. And then I, I've read everything that I just read everything. Yeah. So So there's lots of different sources, different influences. Yeah, it's kind of boring. I mean, it's not nothing big there. Like Batman. Yeah, Batman. I never got into that stuff. I mm. think I just knew that they were just a bunch of liars. They're not liars. Hiding behind masks. They're stories. <laughs> I never got into that. Do we need to take a break? Let's take a break and come back. We'll do more of these. Um just, I guess, asking Matt, trying to figure out who what, you are. You're trying to figure out, you're trying to psychoanalyze me. Kind of. This is scary. We'll come back, do a little psychoanalysis on Ben as well, figure out why he pretends to be a farmer when he knows nothing about farming. But he likes farmers' daughters. We'll come back. More right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. To the Matt Townsend Show. We're playing a little game, Ask Matt. It's really, I guess, designed to figure out how my head really works. Yeah, they're they're kind of oddball questions you'd get at a job interview. Good luck with that. Where they just ask you something off the wall, has nothing to do with the position or your work history. It's like, why, what is your favorite color? And then they go, ooh, really? Hmm. And then you're like, what did I just say? Wow, periwinkle, by the way. And then you get a phone call. We went somewhere else. Yeah, we sorry. Another yeah. candidate. Good luck in your you were, job search. Yeah, we, yeah, we decided to go another direction. <laughs> That's a, I hate that line. Yeah. Well, great. Okay, I hope your other direction doesn't kill you. <laughs> I'm so glad we didn't choose him. What, uh, what, are, we, what are some more questions? Um, some other questions that are on here deal with, like, if you could eat lunch with anyone, mm. what three people would you uh, – those are – Okay, it takes some time because you have to think of three people. Yeah, let's, so not, I, let's not do that. I skip those because I don't even get a good lunch. They're kind of, yeah, if you don't eat lunch, how are you going to relate to that? Right, it's not even doable. What skill do you wish you had right now, and why? Wow, because you can go online and learn virtually anything. What skill? Is it a computer skill? Is it a do you want to know how to build something? No. Do you want to know how to fix something? Nah. Hire that done. I would uh, dancing for sure. What type of dancing? Are uh, you more of a, a hip hop? Yeah. Do you- <laughs> I'd want to learn hip hop. Okay. Um, Jazz dancing? Oh, I, I love that is. 
I love jazz hands. Jazz if, hands? If that's part of jazz dancing. Probably. I'm not even sure. Uh, I would also love the skill of... Um, the mambo? Oh. <laughs> the mambo. I would love them. I, oh, I'm thinking of all kinds of dances now. Okay. The Macarena? Mm-hmm. My wife took me salsa dancing once. What was that like? That was scary. Was it romantic? No, it was really awkward. I mean, they always say that like that's romantic, but to me, that's just super awkward. It's like super aerobic. A lot of well, and you're the whole time you're thinking, I look stupid. Yeah, well, and the rest of the room didn't look stupid. Yeah, I hate because they knew what they were doing. My wife kind of knew what she was doing, and then I'm standing there, and I just could not look. Not. Stupid. Halfway nice right. in, in doing the the you know salsa dance. Do you I was to, just sort of like, look, let's I just, can. <laughs> let's just see a little bit of it. Right now. No, it's just, fine. Just pump it out. Yeah, something I, I won't do again. My wife, I think, wanted to do that at some point, and then I think we went to like a hayride where we did some square dancing, and Ooh. she realized it's better to just talk. Okay. Then dance. And embarrass yourself. So you kind of just waited it out. Yeah. And she lost that thought in her mind that you, you could possibly be a dancer. Totally lost that thought. Although my wife hasn't asked me in quite a while. so <laughs> She'd probably still like to do it, but there's just no way. We ought to have a company dance off. No. No. Yeah, that's a good point. No, that's probably not good. Yeah. I don't see a lot of people here dancing well. Have you seen Ben do the Tahitian dance that he does? No. Do you? He learned it uh, back home. There's only so many dances you can learn in Hawaii, right? Tahitian's one. The hula. What's another? Yeah, the hula's a big one. The hula. And there's... But Tahitian, you move your hips a lot more. Yeah. And it's it's really made with, like, the skirt you wear. Oh, so. yeah. What skirt do you wear? <laughs> it's, a, it's like a grassy one. Oh, okay. More of yeah. a sugar cane? Like a sugar cane. <laughs> a sugar cane skirt? I go with the sugar cane skirt, not the grassy. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a lot heavier than the grassy one. This Better year. quality. It sounds awesome. It holds up to the uh, rough and tumble life of the hula dancer. <laughs> yeah, sounds fantastic. it's a hard life. Give us one more question. If you could fly, as this says, in a plane. Yes. I'm not sure how else you would fly. Yeah, a bird's back. If you could fly anywhere right now, just get in your car, drive to the airport, and go. Oh, yeah. Where would you go? I would go to Maui. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah, I would. And I would stay there for a month. So fly to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I would just keep going through. Um, you know they have those timeshare presentations. Oh yeah, I'd spend all day going to timeshare presentations and get a free night, and I'd get so many nights I'd just stay there for. Free. And they're all over the islands. Yeah. So you could go to one a day. Yeah. If I had that plane. Yeah. And I could fly anywhere. Hawaii. Boom, 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 boom. Be all over the island. New place every night? Uh-huh. Or I would just stay at Ben's family's house. No one's there. I know. Because apparently they're all here. That's right. No, my sister and brother-in-law are there. Do you think they'd mind if I just stayed over up on the North Shore of Oahu? Hmm. That, just call him. Call him. Okay. He's going to call him. While we – I'll pack. <laughs> You're calling him right now? Yeah. With what, your grand, great-great-grandparents' phone? Where'd you get a rotary phone? It's just here in the radio. Okay. Wow, we, oh, they didn't. We really need to update the tech in the studio. Yeah, the technology here is so behind Let's the times. Let's get a touchstone phone. Where would you go? I don't know if I would go. I hate traveling. 
Why do you hate traveling? I'd probably just go back to my house and You'd just watch fly. TV for a little bit and then figure out what I was going to do for the day. Call my wife, see oh. if she had any chores or something. I'm I'm Terry. really boring. I hate traveling. Why? Well, but don't you just – wouldn't you want to get away? Just get to away. To where? To where? Hawaii. It just sounds like a hassle to get there. No, you just You get have on to a go plane. to the airport. Hassle. There are lines. Yeah. You have to sit next to other people on the airplane. Hold on. You have to go through security. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. There's a line. You get violated. Then you get on your plane. Then you get to sit by someone. And then you fly to another airport. There's more lines. And then you have to figure out how you're getting around in the new place where you're at. Well, let's just say the jet is a private jet. You just get on it and you go. If it was a private jet. Anywhere. And there was a car waiting for me when I got off, and it took me right to the place where I was going to be. Then, I didn't have to think about you anything. you watch TV when you get there. I've never thought about it that far because every time I think of traveling, I think of the hassle. Oh, brother. And I know that what you're describing will never happen. There will never be a private jet. There will never be a private car. It's you just, know what? It could happen. I, need, I know. I need to let myself just go and, and dream and think, but no. Man, your head's really negative it's not really negative it's it's, i think it's just really practical it is practical so because of that what if we just put you in a crate uh-huh that with, would work with a tv okay yeah, or netflix and we just that stowed works? you away in a thing and then we just no lines they do have to you know one tsa guy would eventually have to say something to have me. to you know you know check you out maybe just tase me for fun yeah. just to then they, they just something. seal the box again and send no, January. Each time we've gone, my wife has had to plan it. She's had to go through the entire transaction. I'm fully supportive. I just don't want to know any details. Wow. Just tell me when. Yeah. Dude, that's incredible. That's just sad. Well. In a good yeah. way. It's, nah, a, it's a good sad. It, it's actually bad because then I don't tend to try to take any time for myself. No, no. You need to get out. Okay. I'm gonna, we're going to organize a trip for you. Okay, great. A safari? No. Oh. Somewhere far away, but where we can just put you in a crate with some water, some biscuits, and a, your and a Netflix account. A safari would be fun. <laughs> just drop me in the Serengeti and take off. No, no, okay. that's way far. That's a lot of lines, by the way. Okay, we're uh, we're gonna take a break, my friends. That's all you need to know about us. Pretty boring people, eh? Eh. We'll come back uh, with some of our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. To the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, Spencer and Jerem. With it. With How's going, Matthew? How are you doing, guys? Well, we, uh, we enjoyed uh, an interesting weekend of college football. Holy cow. Headlined by that 45-38 Ugh. craziness. That was exhausting. Yeah, I know. That was, that was nuts, wasn't it? Winning. That was totally nuts. I Boy, Tanner Mangum, impressive. Almost as impressive as Taylor Magnum. Uh, Taylor Magnum is his twin brother uh, from another mother. What about Connor Magnum? Connor Magnum <laughs> was amazing as well. There was a graphic tweeted out earlier this Do week. Do you guys remember uh, Magnum P.I.? Yeah. 
course I remember Magnum P.I. Equally amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot that of was Thomas Magnum, by the way. A lot of a lot of people uh, were Tom reminded Selleck. of Robbie Bosco's 1984 Holiday Bowl performance of, hey, need to win this game, come back out. Come back you know, in. He went to the locker room, was trying to warm it up. Um, comes back onto the field, and, and it's interesting. It, someone described it to me this way, and I thought this was really good. When, when Tanner Mangum runs back out onto the field, it's not, oh, great, Tanner Mangum's back. It's BYU won the game. Not will win the game, not is going to, is BYU won the game. He's yeah. back out there. It's over. Yeah, yeah. There was, and, and, and this same friend said, that's the closest it's felt to Jimmer Mania since Jimmer Mania. I thought that was wild because there's some that's crazy cool. stuff that's happened that's right. since then. That's right. But it was it was a memorable night. You'll remember the night Tanner Mangum hobbled back out there, you know, waddled back out there and won the game. <laughs> so when he left, 38-21, BYU up by 17 points. And it's like, hold on, baby. I looked at David Nixon and I said, if ECU ties the game or takes the lead, Tanner Mangum will come back into this game. You said like, no that. Way. You, you called think it. That that, you think that that's going back into the game, and he's just like hobbling to the locker room. I'm like, I guarantee you he will be like, Coach, put me in. Whatever you have to do to my leg, put me in. We're going to win this game. And then, and then it happened. Yeah. yeah, good call. That is a really good call. Is, he, um, is it a hamstring then? We don't even know. You know it, what? Tell him plantar. Check out the plantar. You never know when plantar fasciitis will kick up. I don't know that plantar uh, displays he, he itself pl- the same way. He got a plantar fasciitis <laughs> shot before the season. Oh, did he? So he's good. Yeah. Okay. You can get good. that at, I think, Walgreens. I've just had it forever, so yeah. I think it can mm-hmm. always come back. And sometimes it does manifest in the hamstring region. Oh. Yeah. Sometimes you, Some people have a really long plantar. <laughs> it's and like incredibly long. Plantar. Hey, um, what, what do you guys think about the uh, Chase Utley, Ruben Tejada leg sweep? I think your pronunciation of Tejada was good. Thank you very much. I he, think it he was broke a dirty his play. femur, dude. Yeah. That's, that's just brutal. It's tough. Brutal. Chase Utley, you know, the Dodgers says, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. Of course you're not, but you did. I that's did. the point. That's it. That's not what happened, not your intent. What, what happened? Do you you think broke a dude's ju- leg and you didn't, you were way off the line. You're you, out of line. Do you literally. think that Joe Torre made the right call? Mm. Suspending him? Yeah. I, mean, I think I, it's fair. Yes. I mean, you knocked a guy. It's, he's broke. done for the season. Yeah. yeah. The playoffs. And that shouldn't, that shouldn't matter. What happens to him after, whether he breaks a bone, blah, blah, blah. It's all about that moment, right? Right. But if a guy's seriously hurt, in retrospect, it's weighed uh, heavier. Yeah. I, I don't think that that necessarily should matter, but it does. It Dude, always does. By the way, Ruben Tejada still got the double play. Right? He got the double. It did work, right? Did, did he finish the play? I think he finished the play. And let's look it up. But he, I'm, did, he didn't throw the ball. I don't think he threw the ball. He didn't? I thought he threw it and got it, and it was a complete double play. Because uh, we were listening to the play-by-play, play, and they were the all excited. Yeah. Are you sure? Excited as in no, like he, agitated? No, they were all like, what? A great, and he gets the double play, and then he goes down. I mean, the Dodgers end up. Winning that game anyway, right? Yeah, you know, it shows you you got to be careful because I've I've worried about you guys. I keep worrying one of you could have a, somebody do a leg sweep on you and just roundhouse kick to the face. Roundhouse kick, take that leg out. <laughs> what is it? Swing the leg? <laughs> what is it from Karate Kid? What is it? <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know, but I knew you'd have the line. 
now I'm we're all I think looking to see. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> did he did he throw the ball? Did he get the ball? It, they did say it was an attempted double play. I also think it was his fibula, and not his femur. Really? If so, then our news Sweep department the leg. Our news department yeah, is sweep. off. Sweep the leg, bit. Johnny. Um, and you've got like twenty people over there oh, on the Matt Townsend show. For research. Sure. They're just all sitting there looking up. Well, three so, of them are. To, I've seen them. There's a lot of them. Three of them are just to work my my really long uh, <laughs> my really long plantar. plantar. They're just there to keep it loose. Yeah, like like Tanner Tanner Mangum, got a, had to keep that hamstring loose. You know, he was on Man. the bike. I hope he's okay because you know the hammy. That's something that could Real issue. keep coming back. Uh, was it torn? Was it pulled? Oh. Um, but, and guess what? It's a short week. BYU plays Friday night at six. It's not a Saturday night game where he has that extra day. It's a Friday night game against a Cincinnati team that is three and two, coming off of a bye. They've just been waiting for BYU. They'll be well prepared, and now I I, I can. This, this is my guess. T- t- I don't think BYU will reveal if Tanner Mangum's okay or not at any point. Why would you? No way. Keep that a secret. Yep. Yep. I think he. I think he'll be fine. I hope so. I re- I really do because uh, you just Bo Hodge. I think will be a, a good quarterback at BYU. Obviously, in college football, we've learned you need good backups at every position. Uh, especially quarterback, but uh, the dude's dad just had um, you know serious surgery. Merrill Hodge, who works for ESPN, right? Um, he went to prom like five months ago. Oh my heavens! He got off that yellow bus, as yep. Brian Logan would say. So it's tough to ask a true freshman to come in out of high school. Now Tanner Mangum is not your typical, yeah, true freshman. He's essentially a red shirt. He's essentially a, he's an old man with with life experience now. Game snaps and and in practice, BYU has not given Bo Hodge a lot of number one reps, is my understanding, hmm. because they tried to get Tanner Mangum ready, and I don't blame him. So now Bo do they Hodge's have to one for five with a pick? You know, is not who he is, in my opinion. Yeah, we'll see more. Don't you think they'll they'll give him more now snaps, right? Because he's got. You better believe this week they're giving Bo Hodge a lot of snaps, and I think they're just going to be working Tanner's leg all day. If I'm Tanner Mangum, I. Take it easy, man. This week, he better not be walking up the stairs by the Richards Building on campus. Oh, you know what? There's a building named the Tanner Building. I know. He should go through that building. Yeah. People see him. I hear people see him saying all the time, I saw Tanner on campus today. I'm like, relax. He's, he's, just a, he's a new big thing, you know? Uh, he, yeah, he didn't, get that, he didn't get that throw off for those that are keeping score. Ruben Tejada did not get the throw off. Typically, when you break a bone, you don't throw the ball. Well, I've made a rule in my mind. If I break a bone in my leg, don't throw the ball. Yeah, that's a good rule. I don't know. I mean, I don't know when I'll use it. I mean, a lot of times when I break my leg, I'm not even carrying a ball. A lot of times. A lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, it sounds like you got a great show coming up today. Trevor Maddich on the show from ESPN. Spencer Hadley, former NFL player, Cougar linebacker. Okay. Uh, plus our helmet stickers. And we discussed the unexpected things that we discussed Friday on the show that you can expect to happen. What happened? There was a lot of unexpected in that game. Yeah, there was. Namely, Tanner Mangum's injury. <sighs> well, have a great show. Um, tell Spencer we missed him. I know. What do you mean? Oh, were you still there? I'm, dude, I'm just enjoying the conversation, man. I thought we lost you. No. You were watching, you were watching the Tejada hit. I know. I understand.
No, no, I was not doing that either. Have a great show, though, guys. Seriously. Thank you. Knock we, it out of the park. We seriously will have a great show. <laughs> Thanks, gents. <laughs> you got it. Peace out. Yo. You. That's what they always say. You. Hey, um, great stuff. But that was a game. Holy cow. Here's, a, here's some great news for you. Actually, sad news. And then we'll, if you ever feel like you're not smart enough to be a thief... Just know you are. First of all, did you know that most Americans have less than $1,000 in their savings account? Approximately 62% of Americans have less than 1000 bucks in their savings accounts. And 21%. But what is that? 85, 86. You're counting your money. Yeah, I only have 87. 87 pesos? Um, is that what you're counting your pesos? Because those seem to be louder than the American dollar. Well, Chinese yen. Okay, Chinese yen. Excellent. Uh, only 21% don't even have a savings account, folks. Are you one of those? According to a new survey of 5,000 adults conducted this month by Google Consumer Survey uh, for a personal finance website, GoBankingRates.com, uh, in the latest survey, 29% said they have a savings above $1,000. So only about 30% of the country have more than $1,000. Of those that have more than $1,000, 14% have 10000 or more. Um, but man, when it really comes down to it, 62% of Americans have less than $1,000 in their bank account. We are – that is scary. Just 9% of people say they keep only enough money in their savings account – to meet the minimum balance requirement and avoid the fees that can vary anywhere between 300 a month and 1500 a month at some major banks. So 9%, almost 10% of the population have just enough to not get charged fees in their bank account. Sad, sad, sad. Uh, and also, uh, you gotta, this is in the stupid criminal uh, category. Authorities say 18-year-old man drove a stolen car to a police headquarters to pick up court papers about a previous auto theft that he was involved in. Documents, by the way, that were found in yet another stolen car. Carnell Eugene Butler now faces charges in three stolen car cases. St. Petersburg police say officers found a stolen Infinity on Sunday. Inside, they found Butler's documents related to a June auto theft arrest. Unbelievable. So in a stolen car, they found his documents from his court documents from another previous arrest uh, of stealing cars. Detectives contacted Butler, who arranged to pick them up. When he arrived at police headquarters, a detective arrested Butler and found keys to a Hyundai Sonata in his pocket. The car was located a block away and, by the way, was also stolen. Crazy kid. These kids nowadays. As you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. Uh, of a, this hero is a six-year-old, and he saves his mom's life and his unborn baby brother. A mother has now told her six-year-old son, uh, everybody, that her six-year-old son saved her life and that of his unborn brother. When she suddenly passed out, Julie Argent, who was eight months pregnant, was running son Che's bath when she fell unconscious into the water. The 34-year-old, who is suffering from preeclampsia because of her uh, in her, her pregnancy, she could have drowned, but a quick-thinking Che turned off the tap, filling up the bath, phoned his grandmother, and then dialed 999. Um, che, who uh, knew what to do after going to a St. John Ambulance first aid course, then stayed online for 12 minutes until help arrived. 
Two days later, Che's brother, uh, Lone, was born on August 1st. Julie, 34, the mother, said Che knew from the start he had saved my life. It wasn't until later he realized he had saved two lives when his little brother arrived safely in the world. I will never be able to thank him, Mom said. The doctors and the nurses were all talking about what he had done. He was presented with a certificate from all the midwives and staff at the maternity ward for his outstanding bravery. Che is extremely proud of his little brother. He's a great help with the new baby, fetching and carrying things and keeping him amused. He gets lots of smiles from Lone in return. So, Che, you are the man of the day, my friend, and the hero of the day. Folks, again, this is the Matt Townsend Show. We can't do the show without you. You're all a hero in our mind and in our eyes. Let's start looking after each other and uh, taking care of each other. Until tomorrow, take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.